0: We hope you uh, are going to enjoy the next few hours. Welcome into Hoopsville from the WBCA NABC Studios, presented by D3Hoops.com. Of course, also thanks to our Hoopsville Hotline sponsor, the City of Salem, host of the Men's Division Three Championship Weekend, which is not that far away now. Um, we are almost done, almost finished with the uh, regular season. There are still a few championship games that are taking place as we speak but for the sake um, of our own minds and not going too late tonight we are going to get going with this as we speak we will keep track of any scores that may be going on as we speak um, as we have a few championships in division three that are still wrapping up that may or may not have ramifications at the large selections to the NCA tournament in Division Three, I am your host, Dave McHugh. If you've got questions for us, here's how you can send them to, and you'll see info at the bottom of the screen as well. We are on Facebook as a live simulcast, so you can ask questions there, facebook.com slash hoopsville. We also have our YouTube page, which is our primary show facility. There is a chat room on there as well. We also have um, email, hoopsville at d3hoops.com, and Twitter at d3hoopsville and a hashtag hoopsville. Here's the key. There's not that many of us who can watch all of those avenues. So if you ask a question, please be patient. We will try and get to it. We will admit the Facebook Live questions, while for you may be there quite a bit. For us, they will disappear after a few. But So if it's been a while and your question has cycled, Go ahead and ask it again, but please bear with us as we go. Um, We have a lot of teams who have clinched, as it were, and we will be uh, checking out those results uh, as well. We also have some guests tonight appearing on the show um, who are in or are waiting to get in. So there you go. This is going to be a long uh, show tonight. Uh, Lots to get to. Not only will we be talking to those who are in or waiting to get in, but we'll also be doing our annual mock selections. In a new way of doing things, due to Pat Coleman stepping aside from uh, basketball this year in a a full-time role, Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott will join me for the men's selections. And then James Wagner and Gordon Mann, to some degree, will join us on the women's side as well. Uh, a couple of games of note that are going on right as we speak that have ramifications. Babson and MIT are in the second half with about 15 minutes left. Babson is trailing by 10, though Babson has come from behind it, it, or been behind in six games this year uh, at halftime and come back to one win um, all of them, believe it or not. They have done it through twice to MIT, okay, twice to MIT, they have been down their two largest deficits of the year. Let's make it three largest deficits of the year have all been to MIT. And in all in the previous two occasions, Babson has come back to win. If they were to lose today, they're still making the tournament. MIT would assuredly get in. We don't know if they would get in as a pool C yet. We haven't done the selections, but it would Potentially bust a bubble somewhere else. Now, if MIT were to get a selection, obviously it wouldn't bust a bubble, but if they were to have not gotten one, that's where the the, the, the play gets in, it gets a little, cre- little creaky. Um Middlebury had an easy time with Williams defeating them 84-62. So Williams is going to be on an interesting bubble as well. Um Let's see. Um, Benedictine is leading Concordia, Wisconsin right now, 61-56. I don't think that actually has any Pool C ramifications. I think if Benedictine does not win, they won't be in. Uh, Hanover defeated Mount St. Joseph. Doesn't really have a large, a lot of uh, ramifications. Um, Mount St. Joseph was going to head to the Pool C table and be in the conversation anyway. Uh, Texas Lutheran is leading Shriner. That has absolutely no ramifications. Birmingham Southern and Rhodes are playing, and Rhodes heads the lead. That doesn't have any ramifications either. Madai beat LaRoche, no ramifications. Guilford beat Emery and Henry to win the ODAC championship. That doesn't change any of the uh, at-large scenarios. Um, Lancaster, uh, Morrisville State beat Lancaster Bible in the... Uh, NEAC championship, and that didn't have any ramifications either. Yesterday, certainly a lot more. On the women's side, Amerson Tufts played yet another game of who can score 40 points. And for the first time in two games, somebody did. Amherst won 41-37, but both teams are getting into the NCAA tournament. St. Thomas defeated uh, Gustavus Adolphus 66-49, so no Pool C ramifications there. Trini defeated Texas Lutheran 78-67. Whitewater and Oshkosh are at halftime. Last score I got here, Oshkosh is on the ropes 34-15. Granted, it's at halftime. Uh, That could have some ramifications. Uh, Hendricks is leading Birmingham Southern. Uh, that doesn't have any major things. Guilford and Lynchburg are facing off in the ODAC Women's Championship with Lynchburg leading. Uh, both teams were going to be at the Pool C table, so that doesn't change the equation there either. Um, Babson beat WPI in women's basketball. Doesn't really shake things up. LaRoche won today. That doesn't change anything. Alfred State won. That doesn't change anything. Um, Keene State beat Eastern Connecticut. I don't think that's going to change anything. And SUNY IT beat Morrisville State, and that certainly doesn't change anything. So that's kind of what's happened today. A little bit of a quieter day, certainly, though, with a lot of games uh, than yesterday. Um, but we'll keep an eye on what is going on throughout basketball uh, this today, and then we'll make selections later. Again, if you've got questions, we will try and answer them the best we can. Um, and get you what's going. So here's the, here's how this is going to work. The rest of this hour, answering your questions, just keeping track of what's going on. Uh, we have a couple interviews coming up. Um, Gordon Mann got a chance to quickly talk to Cam Wiley from Swarthmore as they won the Centennial Conference Championship. We'll talk. He'll we'll hear from him about that win. We'll also uh, talk to a student athlete from Carnegie Mellon women's basketball, um, Jackie Huddle, Huddlepool. Will join us, talking about what it's like to be on the Pool C bubble. But more importantly, that was a Hoopsville contribution on the Hoopsville fundraiser, and we want to thank our our uh, our donate our donor for that. Wonderful conversation with her coming up. We'll also talk to Matt Snyder. Matt is the SOS King. He's the one who's figured out the math on the men's side. We will talk to him about that math, what it really means, how it's well, how it kind of has its ramifications so that you maybe have a better idea of what the SOS truly means. Again, if you got questions for us, tweet us at D3hoops or hashtag hoopsil, email us, hoopsil at d3hoops.com and join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Got some questions coming in. We'll start with the first one. This is coming from Matt. It says what do you think Dennis's chances are at getting an at large? Uh, I apologize. I kind of gave away your first name, sir, before noticing you wanted that uh, otherwise. Um, I think Denison might be in a little bit of trouble. Um, They're pretty. um, We've been working all day to get the regional rankings. Remember, the regional rankings—I should have mentioned this earlier—will be released, but not till after the brackets are announced. So we've had to do our own digging to figure out what regional rankings might be. The hashtag Glean is loved to be used quite a bit on this show, and we have gleaned some of those rankings so far. And I, from what I've learned. I believe Denison is pretty much out of any chance of making it. I think they're too far down. What will be interesting to see, I will really, they're going to need a lot of teams ahead of them to be picked. As I understand it, in the Great Lakes, I think there is, let's see, one, two, three, four teams that have lost this weekend who are ahead of Denison. So Denison would be the fifth to the table. I just don't see it happening out of the Great Lakes right now. That's just the the my gut feeling on it. Um we'll see, but I'm sorry, I don't think Dennison's got any chance of making the NCAA tournament this year. A tremendous season certainly for Dennison. Um you got to give them a lot of credit. Um but I I think their SOS was just too poor to help dig them out of that hole. And I think that's where we got with that. It's it's disappointing, admittedly, but I I think they just it was too much of a of a hole to dig out of, plain and simple. So sorry to Dennison. We mentioned Swarthmore um, men winning and Gordon getting a chance to talk to their um uh. There's Cam Wiley. And talking to him about that win, I figured it would be a good time as any to hear from him. It's always great to win an an automatic bid. It's always great to win a conference title, especially as you're an upperclassman. And Gordon got a chance to hear from Cam Wiley. Here's Cam Wiley from Swarthmore with D3Hoops.com's Gordon Mann.
1: Welcome, Gordon Mann, for D3Hoops.com and Hoopsville as we are with Cam Wiley. Of the swathmore garnet 69 years in the making they are centennial conference champions cam uh first off congratulations on the uh on the victory tonight came from behind to get that one key three down the stretch uh were you nervous at all
2: uh no i mean we put in a lot of work and uh for this moment uh we're very prepared and so i think that preparation made me confident and our team confident and we were out, we able to go out there and, and get the win now Dickinson got up on about, by about
1: eight points with eight minutes to go, and then you guys really put the clamps on them on defense. Their guards were penetrating,
2: and then they weren't. What did you do to, to shut that down? Uh, just support our teammates on defense. Uh, our philosophy is when adversity strikes, we got to tighten the fist as a team, support each other, and make sure we don't fragment. And that especially is important on the defensive end. So we were able to do that, and, of course, it helped us out tremendously.
1: Yeah, this this program has been around for a long time. This is a very old-storied school uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Um, you know, it's never been to the NCAA tournament. Uh, you were preseason number one this year. It's never been that before. Did you feel any kind of – I know a lot – you're a sophomore, so a lot of this is very new to you. But did you feel any kind of special pressure with those expectations on the program this year?
2: Uh, yeah, there were a lot of external expectations this season especially. Um, but we just wanted to focus on what we had to do as a team, you know, running our stuff. Uh, did awesome! <laughs> running our stuff. Uh, you know, making sure we stay committed to our system yeah. uh, and not lose focus on our, on our main objective. Um, you know, of course, doing well comes with expectations, uh, and a lot of people want us to do well, but I think our, our main focus was doing us.
1: Now, I asked you this off camera, but you're, uh, you're from, from a significantly warmer place. Uh, you're from Atlanta, Georgia. Tell the folks how you found your way here to the suburbs of Philadelphia.
2: Um, so I stumbled upon Swarthmore, actually. Um, I was driving to Tampa, Florida, where my dad's from uh, on Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving, to visit my grandparents. And I got an email from Jim Bach, um, uh, who is the admissions dean, dean of admissions, and he emailed me saying to apply to Swarthmore, and they'd waive the application fee. Um, So I told my parents about it, and they said, wow, this is a wonderful opportunity, what do you have to lose? Fortunately, my dad said, Swarthmore, you know, that rings a bell. Their coach emailed me in June. Now, this is November. Okay. I was at a uh, Columbia's uh, basketball camp and Coach Landry saw me there, and so he emailed my, my dad. And fortunately, my dad still had the email. And we stopped at a gas station. I gave Coach Landry a call, uh, and it went from there. And so it kind of just a blessing um, that everything's worked out, especially you know last year and then us winning a championship. Right. You know, I couldn't have predicted it.
1: But it doesn't get any more smart more than that. So yeah. you were you were student first, really, yeah. and then you know the basketball program.
2: Yeah. What was the first conversation like with Coach Kasmolski? Um, so I called him. I said, you know, my name is Cameron Wiley. Uh, I know that you you saw me at Columbia. I was at Columbia, and he remembered me. And I told him about the email. And I, you know, I said I'd be interested in applying. We're right. just uh, you know exploring the options. And of course, he was enthusiastic, and uh, we kind of went from there. Um, but that that was the first conversation. We ended up talking for like 20 minutes. Most of it was uh, you know introductory stuff.
1: So Monday is Selection Sunday, or Selection Monday, when they'll announce, your eyes are obviously in the tournament, you'll find out where you play. Monday's another big day for you. You have another big decision to make. Tell the folks about that.
2: Yeah, so the pinnacle of the Swarthmore undergraduate education is submitting the sophomore plan, which is the official and formal declaration of your major and minor. Um, so I will be majoring in history with a philosophy and political science minor, and hoping uh, to go to law school after graduation. So. That's my sophomore plan, and that's due on Monday at 1 p.m. So there'll be a lot of celebrating tonight, but it's back to, back to the books. You're
1: what, 20 years old, 19 years old?
2: 20 years old. You
1: were extremely focused for, for 20 years old. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to try and, and crack you a little bit here. I'm going to put you on the spot. The last thing I want you to do is to say we are the champions of German.
2: Ooh, uh,
1: and I don't know German, so if you can fake it, I'm not going to know.
2: The... Champions! He'll
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. work on the German, but he's going to the NCAA tournament. Cameron Wiley of Swarthmore College. Congratulations! Thank you very much. Welcome, Gordon Mann, for D3Hoops.com and Hoopsville, as we are with.
0: Well, that interview jumped back on us. Sorry about that. Thank you, Gordon, very much for the time to do that. I uh, appreciate him talking to Cam Wiley. Tremendous uh, little moment there at the end with the German. Gotta love it. Um, again, Swarthmore moving on to the NCAA tournament, so we won't be talking about them necessarily uh, in this show. Um there's certainly things to talk about with them. I think they're a pretty decent team. I think others would disagree with me on that. I think that's that's what's great about Division 3 basketball right now is you can really see teams in different lights in different ways. Um and I think that is a team that can also show up differently on different nights. But I think we got so much parity that uh different eyes can see the game differently and I think we've got a lot of fun things to see uh ahead of us in division uh in, in the um, in the tournament, and Swarthmore is one of those teams that hopefully can make a deep run for their sake. Uh, it depends on how the bracket comes out. i um, got a question. with the Will the men's and women's games both start March 3, and what schools will most likely host in the Northeast? Yes. Now that the men's and women's tournaments are both full 64-team tournaments, they will both start on Friday. I believe the game times are somewhat mandated at 5 and 7 o'clock Eastern time, but sometimes that is subject to change. Uh, Women have hosting rights this year, which means if both a men's and a women's team is in position to host the first weekend, the women have the priority, meaning the men will be kicked out on the road unless the school decided to make a different decision. The following weekend, the second weekend of the tournament, it flips and the men will have priority. As far as hosts up in the New England area, um, I... Amherst and Tufts on the women's side. I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be hosting, even if this is Tufts' second loss. I think those two teams are just so head and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, on the men's side, Babson is certainly a front runner, and I think Middlebury is a front runner on the men's side. There's a potential that there could be an extra host out of New England for varying reasons. One, because of strength, uh, the numbers might just indicate that another team, and I think it would be on the on the men's side, certainly a NESCAC team, could host. Um, so that they can get more pods in there um, and fill up the teams. However, uh, that's not always possible. Of course, geographics have to come into this. This question's coming from a Husson fan. Husson's got to get somewhere, somewhere in 500 miles, which almost screams Babson. Um, I don't know if they can get to MIT without crossing over that 500-mile uh, line. Um, I am literally typing that in now and seeing what we get, because I can tell you Middlebury is not a straight line from Bangor, Maine. Believe it or not, they can get to Middlebury just fine, 364 miles. So Husking can go a little bit further than I thought they could. There is a chance that they could even get down, uh, maybe even in the Atlantic region, to Ramapo, possibly. I don't know if that's maybe going a little too far. Um, But nonetheless, uh, on the women's side, I I don't know if there's a third... Host out of New England. Um, Tufts and Amherst are my favorites, though maybe a, another which team sneaks in. I'm not 100% sure. We'll keep an eye on it. Got another question. It says, what do you think of the chances are Letourneau, uh Laterno men getting into the tournament? I think Laterno's men have, uh, sadly, no chance of getting into the tournament. Um, that being said, they may be the second team to get to the table. So I let me rephrase that. They have an interesting chance. Their uh, SOS appears to be a 505, so they're not in trouble. They don't have a lot of regionally ranked uh, data, I don't believe. It looks like they may be the second team to get there, so there may be a chance, but I think it's going to be tough. I think Latourno is going to have a real tough time. Certainly makes it interesting for bracketing, should they make it in. Um, we're. Um, Where might Staten Island's team be placed? Is there a chance Staten Island's men might host a regional pod? No, there's no chance, unfortunately, that Staten Island men hosting at all. Uh, Ramapo is probably going to host unless something has changed that is pretty dramatic. I think Newman even has a chance at hosting just due to the fact that they're the top two regionally ranked teams as of last week. Um, No, the chance of Newman hosting is a little slimmer if they need a host somewhere else. Newman's... Criteria is going to hurt them the, a little bit more. Um, but I know Staten Island is probably going to get shipped up to New England potentially. They can also be shipped down south and into the Mid Atlantic or up into the Great Lakes. They're in a great area, not Great Lakes, I'm sorry, upstate New York. They're in a great area. They can be shipped almost anywhere. And I hope, I would hope, and this is no knock on their fans, but I would hope they could ship them somewhere um, because. Uh, it it allows us to have a little bit more creativity, if if that makes any sense, with the bracketing. So I, maybe we can see some creativity and see them ship. The problem is the eastern side of the Great Lakes. I don't think it's in a hosting scenario. Off the top of my head, maybe Marietta. Let's just type in Marietta and see if we can can get Staten Island there under 500 miles. We can. So there's a chance. I mean, crazy as it sounds, but Staten Island could go to Marietta. Um, to play. Uh, I don't think... Gwinnett Mercy certainly did that last year. I don't think there's uh, any reason that Staten Island couldn't, but Staten Island could go to a lot of different places. Moravians women's chances. They're going to be tough. Moravians at the bottom of the Great Lakes region as of last rankings. We're still working on getting... um, getting those rankings. We're still trying to dig ourselves. Uh, But I think Moravians... Moravians in the bottom of a deep region where a lot of Pool A's have gone, so it's not like there's going to be a ton of Pool C conversation before Moravian comes in. The question is, does Moravian get leapfrogged? Um, I I wonder if there's any chance, and I'm looking in the the Mid-Atlantic, Marymount's ahead of Moravian. That's good. I think there's a good chance Marymount gets in. Messiah's already in. Christopher Newport's already in. Mary Washington will get in. Albright will get in. Scranton will get in. I'm sorry, Catholic will get in. Scranton won the AQ. So Moravian, I think, will get to the table. I just don't know if maybe there's a team off the rankings right now, and I'm I, and we're still digging, uh, trying to glean what the regional rankings might be on the women's side. Um, trying to dig a little bit to see if Moravian stayed there. If Moravian stayed there, I think they've got a chance. Um, again, Coming up a little later in the show, we will do the men, the men's selections, and then we will do the women's selections. So these decisions I'm telling you right now are not based on me having gone through rankings yet. This is completely based on me looking at data as I see it. I think Moravian's got a, a, an interesting chance, but a good chance to at least get into the conversation. Um, let's see here. Uh, Salisbury's men's chances right now after losing three of four. Um Chris, I I think Salisbury's okay to get in. I don't really, off the top of my head, see a reason. Um, I'm trying to see if uh, we 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 gleaned the Mid-Atlantic region, and I'm trying to see where where Salisbury may have finished. Um, All but uh, it looks like one team got got in ahead of them. Will be at the table that didn't get the AQ, so Salisbury will get to the table. I'm pretty confident at 20 and 7 with a 545 SOS. I think Salisbury's going to get in. Um, Backdooring it, um, losing three or four, not exactly how you want to do it. But I think, um, I think for, I I have a feeling Salisbury will be in. I don't think there's a major problem there. Will Marietta host Ohio schools or schools from other regions? Steve, I just kind of mentioned Christopher Newport or, uh, Colleges at an island, maybe go to Marietta. I would hope they don't host that many uh, Great Lakes schools. If you remember last year, they hosted a school from New York, a school from Pennsylvania, and a – what was the fourth school at Marietta? I think it might have been a a Great Lakes school or an Ohio school. My hope is they don't host an Ohio school. There's a chance they may host a low-end team near them. Certainly, um, a team that doesn't have isn't regionally ranked or doesn't have a lot of ranking criteria that goes in their favor. Uh, but Marietta's in a nice little spot there that they can get a few teams to them. Uh, heck, they can get Guilford to them, I believe. So I, I, I kind of like um, Marietta having a diverse um, option there, and that it isn't. Uh, it isn't uh, an Ohio-centric. Yeah, Guilford can easily get the Marietta. So, you know, you might have a, a, a Guilford there. You may have uh, maybe LaGrange. I wonder if LaGrange can get there because that might solve some problems that we're having down in that region um, with distance. Nope, LaGrange cannot get there. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not really positive, but yes, Marietta will not host just Ohio schools. They will definitely host from other regions. Uh, where will Piedmont women play their first game? Um, Piedmont women wouldn't be surprised if they head to the ODAC. I think they can get to the ODAC. Can they get, I bet, yeah, I bet, Mm. well, that's interesting. But Piedmont could go to a lot of different places. Piedmont women can go to a lot of different places. Um, they can go up in the Great Lakes. That might be their punishment, sadly. Granted, being down there in Georgia, it makes it harder for Piedmont to get to a couple places. But uh, there's a chance. Um... We'll see. I'm not really positive on where Piedmont women may go. Um, Let's see. Other questions. Um, How many men's teams from the West will make it? Does Loris have any chance? Uh, Mark, I don't think Loris has any chance. The West isn't going to get that deep, I don't believe. Uh, We know Whitworth and Whitman are probably slam dunks. What's interesting in the information we've gleaned so far is that Claremont Mudge Scripps jumped into third in the regional rankings. That is bad news, by the way, for everybody out there who is an MIAC fan. Um, Wartburg appears to be fourth, followed by St. Thomas, Bethel, and then Loris. Loris isn't going to get to the table. Um, we're going to get stuck somewhere in the Wartburg-St. Thomas-Bethel area. And Loris is just never going to enter the conversation, unfortunately. Um, which is unfortunate, I understand, but that's unfortunately how it sometimes um makes up for itself, as it were. Um got an interesting question here. Um Union's in for the first time on the men's side in 12 years. Congratulations, you're right, to Union. Outstanding. Where do they go? New England is closer, but Ramapo is also just around two hours away. The Capital District is a pretty central location, so Middlebury and Babson are in play. Thoughts? Union can go anywhere. Um, They can go to New England, which I think might be a good idea. Uh, Get some non-New England schools in there. Middlebury is an easy choice to send Union to. Of course, Babson's an easy choice to send Union to as well. You're right, they could go to Ramapo. I don't love that idea, but it might happen. I think Union needs to be that team that could go up to Mar- they Heck, they could go to Marietta. They could maybe even get further into the Great Lakes. And yes, they could even come down into the Mid-Atlantic region. Um my gut tells me they'd probably go New England, and the reason I say that is because you can pull some teams from other regions into New England to get some New England teams out of those pods so we don't have a lot of New England games. Um, so maybe they go to Middlebury Babson. That's kind of my gut feeling is I think Union will will be sent eastward. It's nice to have some teams in that area that can go east so that we can fill the New England pods with non-New England teams. And maybe use that as an excuse to get the Albertus Magnuses of the world out of there and somewhere else. Um, So I I suspect Union will be heading east. Now, I could be dead wrong because the other advantage Union has is they can also go to the Great Lakes. But Oswego is going to have to go somewhere as well uh, because I don't think they're going to host. St. John Fisher, I think, is going to host or is at least in line to host. But if they don't, they're going to have to move somewhere. Those teams being a little bit more to the west, I think it's a little bit easier to drive them into the Great Lakes, thus why I think Union might go a little bit more easterly or southerly. Certainly is an option, but I'd rather see Ramapo get a New England team and maybe a mid-Atlantic team and potentially, depending on other scenarios, somebody else. Now, we also have to consider Christopher Newport is in this mix to host on the men's side. Who can get to Christopher Newport is going to be a tricky question, um and so that becomes a factor. But I think Union's going to head east. It's just my gut feeling. Um, First Team Great Lakes. Matt, I, 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 to be honest with you, I can't get into First Team Great Lakes, buddy. There's no chance. First off, people have to be nominated, and if any SIDs are listening, the nomination window, I believe, is open as of today uh, and through this week to nominate for all-region. And then the voting takes place. So, uh, not even going to tackle um, that to be sure. Question coming in: uh, Chicago women, great strength of schedule, narrow losses and quality wins. Yeah, but and too many losses. Uh, but I think Chicago will be in the conversation. It's it's going to get it's going to get tight. Uh, Chicago was in this boat a couple years ago, you might remember, uh, and got left home because they also didn't play an entire D three schedule. I think Chicago's women are going to be in the conversation. Potentially, we could see four UAA schools in the in the tournament. I, I think Rochester's going to be in the conversation. Carnegie Mellon's going to be in the conversation. Uh, WashU's already in. That brings Chicago into the conversation. Very good chance we could see four UAA women's teams, to be blunt. Um, chances Brockport getting an at-large 19-7 and, uh, and receiving top 25 votes. Well, I'll tell you this much. Don't worry that they're getting top 25 votes. That doesn't matter. But as far as Brockport getting in... Um, uh, it's going to get tough. Uh, from what I'm learning on the regional rankings, I believe they finished sixth, which means, uh, they're already behind two schools who are up for at-larges, including Skidmore and St. Lawrence. I think Brockport's in a tough bite. Uh, where do you, where do you see Augustana? I see Augustana in Rock Island, Illinois, on the Western side of the state on the Mississippi. I'm just kidding. Uh, where do I see Augustana? Um, I see them maybe getting into the tournament. And I see them, they're fodder. They might go to River Falls. I I know people don't like that. They might go to River Falls. They also might be in Wash U's grouping, and and Wash U men can't host, and maybe Augustana ends up pulling off a weird hosting opportunity. Misericordia men, where do you see them for the first round? Really tough. Misericordia is in a great spot to move them wherever the heck we want to send them. Um, I, I kid you not, we can send them anywhere um it's a great question where would we send them um let's see I might send them I I they may go to New England too I know we can get them there we've gotten Scranton's done there they may, may I don't misericordia at Middlebury might work I bet I bet misericordia goes to Middlebury that's where I bet they go uh, Worcester host. No, Worcester's not going to host. Uh, where do you think, uh, Northwestern St. Paul men's team from the UMAC will play the first game of the tournament? Well, we've seen them. Uh, they're probably going to River Falls. I'm just going to jump out on a, on a limb there. I think Northwestern goes to River Falls. Um, will Carthage men make the tournament? Not from what I'm seeing. Carthage men will not make it. You know, you need to get to the championship game. Uh, that would have helped. But from what I am seeing out of the uh, central region, um, Carthage isn't even in the conversation. Let's put it that way. You know, I've been ignoring Facebook Live. I apologize, folks. You probably have had some questions. We're going to run through a quick couple of quick questions there and then go, well, maybe not. That. Well, hold on. My screen just uploaded uh, that, or updated. That's why. So, uh, yep. So there's a bunch of questions and I'm probably missing them all here. So um, let's see here um will eau claire make the tournament um we're talking men it's going to be tight and i think no how about Nichols' first conference championship ncaa birth and program history will they probably have to go to babson right i don't know charlie i think uh they could be easily sent somewhere else uh they could also go to middlebury but I i hope not by the way we'll be talking to their head coach coming up here on the show um I know there's other questions on Facebook. I just can't see them all, so I apologize. We're going to take uh, another break. We're running a little bit behind here, so I want to get going. I know there's tons of questions, but we have some guests that we want to get on the show and so on and so forth. Um, So let's see here. Trying to keep track of the Babson game, too, because Babson may be an upset. MIT might end up holding off Babson for the first time. I am trying to keep track of that, so we're calling that up. Any other questions? Where do you get uh, where do you get the Rippin Redhawks playing? Uh, Rippin will pr- – oh, wow, where could Rippin – Rippin's probably going to – I bet Ripping heads to WashU. Well, no, WashU can't host. By the way, we have a final. MIT defeats Babson. So we have an upset there. Babson will take one of the at-large bids. The real trick gets into this where, where does, you know, does MIT getting a bid actually bust a bubble or were they going to get a bid anyway? And that we will determine later. Um, Let's see here. Um, Does a weak CSAC make Newman more vulnerable than an attorney? Well, Yeah. I, I don't think that's a—listen, the CSAC was even weaker when Cabrini made it all the way to the Final Four in the championship game and lost to Whitewater on a buzzer beater. Um, you know, they miss, missed a buzzer beater that would have won them the national championship. So I don't—that I, sometimes isn't relevant. Benedictine was in what would be argued a weak conference and got all the way to the national championship on an undefeated record uh, and certainly played well in that championship game. That doesn't always translate into making a team vulnerable in the tournament. We've seen teams come out of darn good conferences and lose in the first weekend, and we've seen teams like Morrisville State come out of the NEAC and make it to back-to-back Sweet 16s and almost make it to the Final Four, to be blunt. So I don't think that's a great measure in Division Three. It certainly has had tendencies. We certainly see tendencies, but if we're going to go on a tendency of the CSAC then no, I don't think it's a weakness for for Newman because Cabrini has proven otherwise. Um, what I think makes Newman vulnerable is Newman as their own team and what they do or don't do well and whether a team can expose them. Rosemont exposed Newman and, because of matchups. If someone can figure out what Rosemont is able to do or as a te- team similar to Rosemont but clearly better um, because they're in the tournament, just for argument's sake, then I think they expose Newman. That's what I think exposes Newman. I don't think the conference necessarily will expose Newman in the tournament, if that makes any sense. Um, so there you go. We're going to uh, take uh, – I've got a couple more quick questions rolling through. Appreciate you all taking the time to, um, to answer, ask us questions. Where do you see Hope College? Do they make it in? No. Um, Hope hasn't even been regionally ranked. Um, so no, um, I thought I had given my opinion on Moravian college, (laughs) but maybe someone came in, um, Moravian's going to be on the bubble in women's basketball. I think they're going to be in the conversation to be sure in a very deep mid Atlantic, whether they get in is a very good question that I don't have an answer to right now. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, going to talk to a Carnegie Mellon student athlete who's, uh, hoping to make it to the NCAA tournament herself. You'll listen to Hoop soul presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. We'll be back with more Hoop soul right after this.
3: My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I wanna bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center.
4: Defining moments. Championship dreams. Share the experience with your family and friends the 2017 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 17th and 18th at the Salem Civic Center in Salem, Virginia. Visit NCAA.com slash tickets for your tickets today.
5: We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're at d3hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com.
6: Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it.
0: Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, our selection Sunday special. No, we have not gotten going with our selections yet. Be patient. We will. And we will start with the men first, but that is still to come. We still have to talk to Matt Snyder, for example, our strength of schedule king, um, and other guests uh, later in the show. But we will get to selections. We will get to answering your questions, et cetera, et cetera. We're just starting to get going here. But first, we wanted to talk to a student athlete. Well, the reason we want to talk to this particular student athlete is, you know, the Hoopsville fundraising campaign we've been talking about. It's gotten a bit of a a boost in the last few days, which is good because we only have a few days left in the campaign. One of the perks, if you decide to be so generous as to give at that level, is you get to choose a guest for our show. Yeah, it is that cool. Uh, And someone who made a contribution recently decided that they wanted to choose our guest. But they didn't choose a guest from their own school. They took a rival. They said, you really need to talk to this young lady. She's pretty darn good. Um, One of the things that they described, though, was... Here's what they described uh, uh, Jackie uh, Hudapol from CMU as. A combination of aggressive play, the way she seemed to enjoy the game, the one thing she did to help a teammate. A contact was lost. She literally went full face down and found the missing contact with a few seconds. within a few seconds. Besides getting a nice hand from the whole crowd, she got a fist bump from the ref as she inbounded the ball. To this person, it was a cool moment. We thought it was a cool moment, too. And then we realized she's also a a former, or last year, academic All-American for COSIDA. She's also one of the team's leading scorers and leading uh, members of the squad in terms of general all stats. Jackie's a pretty good player, so why don't we have her on? They're also on a pool C bubble, so we might get a good take on what she has to say about that. So Jackie Hudapol joins us here on the City of Salem Hoopsville Skype hotline. Jackie, nice to see you.
7: No, oh, thank you very much for having me. It's an I, honor.
0: I appreciate you taking the time to, to join us and chat. Uh, first and foremost, I know it hasn't been the exact season you wanted, but congratulations nonetheless. A tough UAA battle, and Carnegie Mellon turned quite a few heads this season.
7: Oh, Yes, thank you. I mean, I think that we definitely came in the season with very high expectations after the success we had in the tournament last year, and the UAA hasn't quite gone the way we'd hoped. I mean, there are definitely a few games that we'd love to have back, a couple games that you keep replaying in your head. But overall, it's it's been a it's been a really good and a really fun year.
0: Um, yeah, you gotta it's got to be tough to get into conference play because let's see, you started the season two, four, six, eight, to eleven and zero. So you guys got off to a tear. How hard is it to then get into the conference games? And your first one's Case Western Reserve, and they basically punch you in the nose.
7: Yeah, I mean, was not was not the start to the to UAA play we wanted. Um, but I guess that's kind of the beauty of the UAA. I think. I mean, the coach always talks about it that every single game in the UAA is a battle, and every or any team can win on any given night. And I think that that's really helped us grow. I mean, it really helped us grow last year when we got to the tournament to know that we could play in close games because we had played in so many of them uh, throughout the UAA.
0: How tough is this conference? You guys are three and six in your last nine losses to Wash U and Chicago on back to back weekends. Rochester has tripped you up. Even NYU, who is banged up. Uh, beat you guys and I know that's not a a sign that you guys aren't a good team we know you're a good team it's just how tough is it to play in the UAA
7: oh it's 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 very tough I mean just your margin for error is just so so small I mean just a couple games where people haven't had good shooting nights or we've had a couple people be out or banged up a little bit with injuries that there's just so little margin for error all the coaches are good they scout well they know how to take away your your first and second options and it's tough no question
0: you got a chance you you went for one year to Colgate did you go to play yes I did so do you got a chance to see games at the Colgate level how do you compare what they were playing in the sense of opponents and such to what your schedule is like in the last few years
7: um, I mean, I definitely think, I mean, Colgate being at that level, being at Division One, probably the caliber of the just general athleticism and size is a little bit higher than the UAA. But just in terms of competitiveness on a night in, night out basis, I think the UAA can compare with any conference at, at any division in the country.
0: What ended up being your uh, reason to transfer from Colgate to Carnegie Mellon?
7: Yeah, um, that's a fair question. You I know, mean, honestly, like without saying anything bad about Colgate, I'm so, so grateful for that opportunity that I had there. I met a lot of really great people, had a lot of great teammates there. Um, it ended up just not being a great fit for me academically and probably basketball wise too. But I guess looking back at it now, three years later, probably. I don't know. I can't really say anything bad about anyone there. Like probably it was just me not being quite ready. Like sure. Probably I was the one most at fault and why that didn't work out versus anyone else. But
5: what what drew you to Carnegie Mellon?
7: Um, I had like definitely talked to Coach Hola throughout the recruiting process my senior year in high school and it's ended up just being an amazing fit both in terms of academics and basketball. Just the relationships I've been able to build with professors, teammates, coaches, I've really, really enjoyed my time here.
0: Well, it's been fun to watch you play. Um, what has been the biggest part of your game that has uh, maybe improved in your three years or even four years in college in general, but three years at Carnegie Mellon? What part of your game do you think has improved the most?
7: Um, Probably two things. One is just being stronger and being able to shoot the three a little bit more consistently. Definitely in high school, I was Definitely more drive-first, mid-range player. And I think being able to stretch that back to the three-point line has made things a lot easier and making people have to guard you and bringing the defense out to open things up. And the second thing, which is probably more important, especially given that I get to play with a great player in Lisa Murphy, is just reading the help defense and knowing that, like, you don't have to score to be effective, that if I can take one or two dribbles, draw the help, get somebody out of position, that – Either at least it's going to be open or I'm going to be able to make that skip pass for an easy dump. And I think as soon as like that started to click and I started to see that you don't have to just beat your person and score to be effective, that like it's a team game, that the game just became so much more fun, like as I have improved and being able to read defenses.
0: What I find interesting is you're listed at six foot. That's a
7: little little generous.
0: Okay, I figured (laughs) that's why we always say listed. Um, I figured it was a little generous, but still, in the Division Three game especially, that height doesn't tend to be a guard, doesn't tend to be someone who's got three and a half assists a game, doesn't tend to be someone who's talking about three-point shots, it tends to be someone who's probably parked on the other block across from Lisa Murphy and you're playing a, t- a, a almost a, a double-block game instead. What drew you to being a guard, and how have you been able to 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 keep that role, as it were, as you've grown into a much um, taller frame?
7: Yeah, I mean, I definitely kind of hit my growth spurt late in high school, so I'd always been like a guard growing up, just because I was like definitely on the smaller side for most of my childhood career. And I guess the other part, um, so I mean, my face-up game is definitely a very a lot better than my than my post-game, which is probably (laughs) more of a dig at my post-game than my face-up game. But uh, we play more of a four-out one-in offense, which I think fits really well. It gives Lisa a ton of space to operate. We have an open block as far as uh, driving lanes. So I think just being able to play that one post-offense just fits the personnel that we really have, and it fits my skill set a lot better, too, I think.
0: You and Lisa are the only two seniors on this team leading the team. She's got 24.5 points a game, 13.2 rebounds. You've got nearly 15 points a game, 3.5 assists a game. Um, You both shoot pretty darn well. If anyone hasn't looked up Lisa Murphy's stats, by the way, folks, she shoots nearly 80% from the floor. We figure she will be breaking the NCAA record, I think, even for career and season in shooting percentages. What's it like to play with her? Because the one thing I suspect is you're going to give her the ball, you're not getting it back, because she's going to make her shots.
7: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Lisa is an absolutely amazing player. I mean, it's it's truly been an honor. And you can take one look at her stat line and know that she's a damn good player. But <laughs> But the best thing about her is that she's an even better teammate in person. And I know that's a cliche to say, but... It's so true with her, and she's so, so selfless. Like she'll pass the ball back out to me when she gets double teams. and I'm like, and I just pass it right back, and I'm like, nope, you're shooting that. Like you could if it's you're if you're double teams, you better be shooting that. If it's a triple, <laughs> okay, maybe. but uh, like that's that's the biggest thing with with her is that she cares about the team so much. Like it's always team first with her. But and like the biggest thing for us to be successful, I'm like Lisa. You just got to shoot the ball. So, it's it's really been an honor to play with her.
0: That's amazing. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a trick question here. If I were to ask Lisa, what's it like to play with you? What do you think she would say?
7: <laughs> um, I, don't know, I think we've definitely developed uh, a good relationship both on and off the court over the years, and I think we've definitely like gotten that going. I think. That I've learned how to pass to her, how to move the defense to get the ball into her, and I would hope that that she would she would agree with that. I think she would. I've heard I've heard her say it. That I don't know her her question like she's broken so many individual records, but whenever anybody asks or says anything to her about, it, she's like she, her response is always it's because of my teammates and. Just, I mean, she's not shooting 80% from the floor because of us, that's for sure. But (laughs) to have the best player on your team have that attitude, it trickles down. And just everything that Lisa's done to elevate this program, I mean, I can't overstate it. Like, she's an amazing person.
0: Jackie, I would normally be very impressed with your shooting percentage of 43, but it just does not seem to stand up.
7: (laughs) No, that's the... That's the one thing. I mean, Coach always always yells at me, like, when I have turnovers trying to pass the ball into Lisa, (laughs) shoot it. And, like, that's the one. Like, every other turnover, I deserve to be yelled at. But that one, I'm like, well, Coach, if I turn the ball over, passing it into her a third of the time, the other two-thirds of the time, she gets it and is 80% from the field, I think those percentages are a little bit better than mine, but... but uh.
0: Well done, because in great transition, because if no one noticed the graphic at the bottom that's been scrolling through, you are a math major <laughs> with a concentration in statistics. I have a feeling you're going to win this argument with your coach just because your brain's going to process this information a little bit faster than your coach. So I love how you're pulling your major into this conversation. That was That's well done. You have some advantages on the court.
7: Yeah, yeah. I mean. I don't think it really takes a math major to know that you should pass the ball. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. That's probably a pretty obvious one. But you are a math major uh, and a concentration in statistics. What got you into that and what do you hope to do with it?
7: Uh, Yeah. um, I've always loved math, like, from a young age. And I didn't think coming into college, I didn't quite have, like, an understanding of really, like, what higher level mathematics was. But, like, as I've gotten here and taken some math and computer science classes, I've just I really love the analytical aspect, the logical thinking of it. Um, Developed some really good relationships with my professors here, and they've been so incredibly supportive. And I really liked everything about it. Um, And as far as like, so next year uh, I did accept a job in Chicago, like working at a quantitative trading firm. So we'll hopefully use those skills, like put them put them to use. But yeah, I've I've really enjoyed my time in the classroom here. It's been a great university, great fit for me.
0: Wait till the company finds out how good a basketball player you are. I have a feeling that you'll have other responsibilities for the team um, <laughs> than than just your your knowledge of math and statistics. So I assume by that answer, then you uh, you don't have plans to possibly play um, professionally in any way.
7: No, no, I mean. I've always loved basketball, and I, I think that at some point I would love to come back to it in a coaching role. But I think my body, with a, a number of lingering injuries, I think my body is telling me it's time to to rest and heal
8: up. So
0: I can understand that. So, Jack, i got to ask you the tough question then. Uh, you guys are on a bubble. We don't know if you'll make it. Uh, we'll be doing our mock selections later in the show. Um, we don't know if, if the Tartans will be playing in the NCAA tournament along with a lot of other teams. Um, has it hit you yet that there's a outside chance or a real chance that you played your last game on Saturday?
7: I try not to think about that. I mean, Lisa and I definitely came into the season kind of with a, a tournament or bust attitude. So I'm very hopeful that that dream is still alive. I mean, I know that we haven't quite. Quite taking care of everything in our control that we would have liked to. Definitely a couple of games that you still replay in your head at night. But uh, I'd like to think that our body of work, us demonstrating that we could, can be successful at that level in the tournament last year, um, will help us. But we will see. We will see.
0: Um, any plans to watch the selection show on Monday?
7: Um, nothing. Fine. Nothing like in. Certain. Um, I think a lot of people have class tomorrow, uh, but hopefully a few of us will get together and watch it. We'll see.
0: Um, I ask this question sometimes of guests who are on my WBCA center court segment. So it's a little bit more coach oriented when I ask that, but I'm going to twist it around for you. <clears throat> I usually ask them when they retire. Uh, I can't really ask you when you're going to retire from basketball, though technically, I guess you are retiring from basketball when the season officially ends. Um, but what do you hope people will remember about you as a player or hope people will remember you when they hear your name um, in the future about your career at Carnegie Mellon?
7: Sure. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just like just the selflessness and like how to be a good teammate and, like obviously like winning is very important, but I think that a lot of what goes into winning is the process and the work ethic that has to happen on a day-to-day basis and and being supportive of your teammates. And I'd hope that like in the time that like Lisa and I have been here that we've tried to set that example for everyone and show that like it doesn't stuff doesn't come easy or nothing is handed to you that you have to work for it. And also that like the carney mellon like basketball program like is bigger than basketball like like we're always going to be here to be supportive as friends and as teammates and hopefully like that lasts a lot longer than however many more games i have that those relationships will last and that you know how to to be a teammate and to have everybody's back
0: well, I have a feeling the reason we have you on is because you are a teammate and you have been recognized for that teammate uh, attitude, and we thank you for it. It's amazing how you and Lisa, both seniors, have helped transform this program and at the same time have both been the almost the epitome of teammates. Um, certainly do the Tartans proud, um, and we thank you very much for taking the time to join us. We wish you luck and hope. Um, that you'll get a chance to be dancing uh, next weekend in games. If not, hats off on a tremendous career and a tremendous season to boot. We always give – this is a little bit different, but we always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be watching?
7: Um, I think like the one thing that I will say, and there's one more shout-out to Lisa, is that I know she's gotten a lot of recognition, and she hates the recognition more than anyone, but – she deserves everything and more, you know, one of the best, probably the best player in Division Three this year, one of the best players in Division Three history. And that it's, it's been an honor, not just as a basketball player, but as a teammate and a friend. Like, I can't thank her enough.
0: Well said, Jackie. You've also been a pretty darn good player yourself. Congratulations on your career. Good luck, and thank you for taking the time to join us.
7: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Jackie Hudapol joining us on the uh, City of Salem Hoops Hill Skype hotline. Terrific story. Uh, We certainly hope they're in the tournament. If not, though, the career was amazing. Uh, We wish them luck in the selections. We'll be doing our mock selections coming up later. We'll start with the men, but we still got some more business to do and answer some of your questions. We also have to talk to Matt Snyder. That's all ahead on a special edition of the Hoopsville Selection Show. Uh, Don't forget, this was brought to you thanks to the Hoopsville fundraising campaign. Please consider donating. Maybe you can control one of the guests on our show as well. If it's as good as that selection... We ought to have a lot of donations awfully soon. Thank you so much for Jackie's uh, donation, the donation from Jackie uh, Stuart, Thank you so much, and we'll look forward to more in the future. You're watching Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville on this Selection Sunday special coming up next.
8: I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me but then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless.
1: This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still
9: love about college sports. At George Fox University, our promise is that every student will be known personally, academically, and spiritually. To be known means professors and staff know you by name It means you're valued, encouraged, and challenged. It means we'll listen to you and with you as you pursue God's call in your life. At George Fox University, you will never be a number. You will be known. Visit georgefox.edu to learn more.
5: We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships and we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com.
0: And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. This is our Selection Sunday special, and we hope you're enjoying the show. We will be talking men's selections and going through the selection process in our mock selections coming up very shortly, in about 15 minutes. We will then do the women's after that. That will be a few hours away. Um, we are not just going to go, hey, here are our selections. We are literally going to go through the process as if we were the committee. Um, now, we don't have access to as much information as the committee Um, But we'll certainly do our best. That is all coming up. I know we have a bunch of questions uh, coming up in a moment. We'll also be talking to um, Matt Snyder, who's our data analyst or SOS King, as it were. We'll talk to him in a minute. Um, So a couple of questions that have come through and I want to get to as soon as I can. This one's come through a few times. Uh, did I see the Northwestern Saint Selaska game last night? I did not. I actually decided to take some time and, and, and enjoy it with, with my wife uh, on a date night, if you don't mind. Uh, she barely sees me this time of year, so I missed out. But I heard all about that game. Certainly, a, a heck of a game to say the least. Where could they head? We said already, probably River Falls, but certainly they are uh, fodder to go somewhere else. Thomas Moore may have to make the tournament, and that will make a it could make the tournament. That will have a, a determining factor too. Uh, but I have a feeling Northwestern might be headed to River Falls. We'll see. Uh, could Northwestern have a better SOS than a team like Rippon? So what do they uh, do not have to play the host team? I, I don't know. I You know, the SOS isn't the only factor here. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think there's nothing about Northwestern to me that screams they need to be protected. So I think the host team is most likely who Northwestern plays. Um, let's see here um oh I left that one open I didn't mean to um does Brooklyn College have a chance to get that large bid this year uh lost a tough one to Denison for SOS no I don't think Brooklyn College is getting in um another question uh do you see Oswego men and what do they think about their point guard Sarantino for 48 points against Buffalo State 27 points by him in the 10 minute span uh, unheard of. Thanks. Well, I don't think it's unheard of. I'd like to introduce you to a couple guys, including a guy named Ty Sabin at Ripon, who can do something similar. Uh, uh in fact, Saban's got the scoring record for this year. Um, Sorrentino is a terrific player. I've seen him in action. I think very highly of him. He, there was a reason he was so highly, uh, ranked in the preseason, all Americans and uh, 48 points against Buffalo state was very impressive. And the 27 points in 10 minutes was certainly impressive. Um, Oswego men are probably, I think, could head north into the northeast. That's my guess. Do you think Emory Eagles men make the tournament? Yeah, I think they're probably going to make the tournament. They jumped up in the regional rankings in the last two weeks. Don't think they'll host unless the NCAA is in a real tight bind due to geography. But, um, I mean, there's an outside chance. I shouldn't say that. There's an outside chance Emory men could host. I I don't know. Emory and Henry men and women's teams. Well, the men team are not, I don't think, are going to make the tournament. I don't think the women's team are going to make the tournament. Uh, does uh, Ohio Wesleyan have a chance to make the field of 64? Yes, I think they've got a chance. They certainly improved their resume in the last few weeks to move up. However, uh, they're in an interesting spot, but I think they get to the table and they just, just might make the tournament, actually. Uh, another question. Um, women's Mid-Atlantic Region projected seedings. With all the six teams involved in conference championships yesterday, will uh, the three winners ascend to the top three spots? In other words, Messiah Scranton and Christopher Newport. No. Plain and simple. No. Uh, Catholic will stay in the mix, most likely. Christopher Newport, I don't see jumping that big. Um, No. Uh, Messiah may go over Albright, certainly. I could see that happening, but no. All three will not just automatically jump up there. Um, And any guess as to who may host and which teams from the region would end up playing against each other? in order to advance, I don't think anybody will play in the first rounds against each other. They may even avoid the second. The advantage of the Mid-Atlantic, especially on the women's side, is they're all in different areas, and they can move them to different areas. Christopher Newport and Scranton and Messiah can actually not be anywhere near each other. Albright can move into a nice—and could go up into New England or could go into the Great Lakes. Uh, I think they've got a lot of opportunities on the women's side, and I think they'll take advantage of those if they can. So those are some quick questions. I know we've gotten some others. Um... Let's see. Uh, how many teams from the yAC, for example? I think two to three on both the men's and women's side will make the tournament. Uh, I think that's pretty safe to say this year. Um... Where will the New Paltz women go after the big upset of Geneseo yesterday at Geneseo? And New Paltz is in, down in the southern part of New York, so we can send them anywhere. We're just talking about those mid-Atlantic teams. New Paltz could go down to Christopher Newport, for example, and that might be a very nice way to make sure. Well, no, Christopher Newport women I don't think are going to host. Uh, so take that back. But New Paltz could easily be sent to uh, any of those teams I talked about in the mid-Atlantic, and I think that's where they'll head. I don't think they'll head them up into New England. I think they need to get some teams down into the mid-Atlantic and New Paltz. Is an easy one to take care of. There got a lot of questions in a lot of places. We will try and answer them where we can. I use one set of eyes watching four different places for chat. You'll have to understand why uh, we can't see them all. Um, Okay, I don't understand why you're uh, Andrew. You're asking for the Hope guys in the Northeast. The, the, Hope, the Hope men's team is not traveling to the Northeast. It's more than 500 miles away. Remember, when we talk about bracketing, and, and we can't talk too much about bracketing because we haven't done selections, but when we talk about bracketing, you can, they will not travel a team more than 499.9 miles. If, it, the, if the odometer hits 500, that team is not traveling for the most part. There are going to have to be some flights. We have to take the act team, claremont Montscripts, scripps and send them somewhere. We have to get some teams up to the Northwest. We may have to get some teams to Texas, depending on how the, they do the bracketing. So there are going to have to be some flights. But outside of that, for the most part, if it's a t- if it's an opponent that's more than 500 miles away, don't even think about it. And and it's based on a mileage system that the NCAA has. So hope to the Northeast is not going to happen. Um and I don't know, you're probably asking me about, uh, okay, Andrew, I'm going to say this one time to you. I'm deleting one of your comments, but if I see another comment about Sidney Moss on this system, um, I'm blocking you because your comment is absolutely false. But if I see another one, Andrew, we will ban you. Uh, And with that note, I'm just going to move away from questions for a while before I get any angrier. Um, Andrew, I appreciate you you participating, but you, you need to keep it, um, non rumors, sir. And by the way, what you stated isn't even an NCAA violation. Going to the Hoopsville hotline, sponsored by the city of Salem, our strength of schedule guru, Matt Snyder joins us there. Sir, welcome to Hoopsville.
10: Hey Dave. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Sorry for the transition there.
10: Uh, I'll I'll try not to make you any angrier than you already hmm. are.
0: It's a hope fan apparently. So I don't know what that does for you. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an inside joke, folks. Inside joke. Um, talking to Matt here because Matt knows how the SOS is calculated. He's been able to figure it out, thanks in part to also talking with the NCA to figure it out the best he can. Um, and so I, I always like bringing him on about this time of year. Sometimes it's earlier, sometimes it's this this day, just to let people understand what the SOS really is and how it's measured and why it's so, so has such an impact. Remember, all the criteria is equal, but it does have an impact. And and I think one thing people confuse, Matt, a little bit here is people equate it to an RPI. And I can understand why they equate it to an RPI, but it's not an RPI index, per se, because it's not taking everything into account.
10: Yeah, right. The uh, strength of schedule number is basically just trying to be another piece of data that a committee can use to qualify the winning percentage to tell you if uh – um, a team who's won, you know, 24 games has played top-notch competition, or if they've played just kind of um, fodder from the region, um, but they don't combine it like maybe Division One does into that RB- RPI number that you talk about. You see that on ESPN a lot from tournament time, um, what the RPI uh, of a team is, but the Division Three does not use that number. They don't combine the winning percentage into the SOS. They use them as separate criteria,
0: and the biggest reason for that is they want them to be separate criteria. They don't want um the win loss and the sos to be married and that be the only number they look at they literally are trying to give the committees as much leeway in the data as they can it feels like matt um but is the sos basically what is the other side of that rpi index in d1 yeah
10: in division one they take the sos um pretty much the same way it's calculated in division three i think They either don't have a home away multiplier or they use it differently, but then they combine that with the winning percentage in a special formula ratio um, that gets them the RPI. So when I do my numbers, if people have looked at the site, I do combine as an RPI, but I just do that as a tool to quickly um, rank the teams in an order that I don't have to think about. Um, But that's not right, something that the uh, NCAA does not look at that.
0: Um, Snyder uh, Matt does do this. We have a link on our website to Matt's numbers under the men's side. The women's side is far easier, so we actually have a link on our own site. The reason Matt does it is because of that multiplier. If you play in a away game, the your your away games winning percentages are multiplied by 1.25, and your home games are multiplied by 0. 0.75 matt can, do you do you understand the multiplier well enough to give people an understanding as to why the committee has over the years chosen um to well i mean i should say chosen those numbers because we had a different number wasn't it point one four or one four and point and six at one point
10: yeah i think that was the first number they used um which i think was far too extreme yeah and they went back down to this number which seems better um but what they wanted to do i think was uh kind of separate out teams uh, that loaded up on home games versus teams that had to g- kind of go out and be road warriors. So that was the intent of the um, multiplier was to make um, away games appear more difficult on your schedule and home games appear easier on your schedule. So that the SOS numbers kind of balanced out.
0: Yeah, we have uh, several teams uh, in around the country where you could point to had, had been parking themselves at home and racking up some break, great win-loss percentages without really challenging themselves on the road. Um, and so this is kind of a way of saying, hey, we're not going to reward you for that necessarily. You can keep doing it, but we're not going to necessarily give you the same weight to it. Uh, the women do not use the multiplier. That's why the math on our site is so much easier. Um, now, when you look at the SOS and how the number has been kind of adjusted over the years, because they they're constantly tweaking it to try and make sure it's the best number possible. Is it the best way to measure what we've got going on? I mean, we're far cry from QOWI way back in the day, certainly. That one did not go so well. I hear people trying to knock the SOS and try and say that it isn't all that great. But I always have felt that it's, it's, it's a pretty valid weight measure.
10: Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, it's certainly far better than the uh, quality of wind index or whatever that was we used a few years ago. That was um, that was kind of nonsense. Um, you know, Division One talks about are they going to use like a Ken Pomeroy ratings, advanced metrics kind of a thing. I don't think we'll see that Division Three anytime soon. So um, barring something like that, I think an SOS-like number is um, appropriate. It's, it gets, gets you to qualify the winning percentage like you want to um, in a fairly reasonable manner. It usually makes sense. Um, as far as which teams, you can tell, play strong schedules, they get rewarded with high SOS numbers. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a good system. It's not perfect. People's criticisms are correct, but um, it's, you know, from, from Division Three where we're not going to have as much data available, I think it's a pretty good number.
0: We obviously get the conversation in the NESCAC about how they don't play a double round robin, and I want to back up a little bit to say... For the most part, the thinking is, if you're in a conference and you play a double round robin, your SOS in conference play starts at about 500. Yes, it can be higher or, or, or lower than that, depending on a number of variables, but for argument's sake, 500. And then you're out of conference is what's really influencing that number, north or south of 500. The NESCAC doesn't play the double round robin. They play a single set. There's other conferences who play an off-balance schedule, like... Uh, the ODAC, who you play double round-robin against some, and you play single games against others. There's other conferences with divisions. They have the similar makeup. But the NESCAC not playing that double round-robin, except for the little three and the main three, is the argument has been boosts the SOS to a point that they're getting teams in because they're not, not doing the same in conference that everybody else is doing. And my, and I understand that argument, but I also wonder if that's flawed and too easy an argument. The other side of that is, well, they can go and pick off some easy teams in their conference, in other conferences that they can beat. They're going to get them some good numbers. I get it, but it also seems flawed. And then the other side of the argument also is. Um, that they're basically toying with the numbers to be able to get extra teams in that probably don't deserve to be there. Is it a, a a reasonable argument, or does it have flaws to it, that that it's not telling the whole story?
10: I think that argument is reasonable, but it's too simplistic, and it's somewhat flawed. Um, I think not playing the double-round robin um, can lead to a higher variance in SOS, so maybe they're able to push those top teams a little bit higher into the 600 winning percentage percentage. Um, or SOS range, which would be quite elite, um, because when you play a double round robin, you have more teams in your conference, and when you're playing each other, one team's guaranteed a win, one team's guaranteed a loss, and that kind of sucks everyone a little bit toward 500. Um, NESCAC not having that, if you played a very strong um, non-conference schedule, you wouldn't get sucked back down toward 500 as far But kind of on the other side, if you played a really weak non-conference schedule, you wouldn't get sucked toward 500 as far. So um, I think in the NESCAC you might see a a bigger spread in possible SOSs than other places in the country, but I don't think it's necessarily that they're getting boosted up. I think part of the reason they're getting boosted up is because they're all beating up on non-conference teams because it's such a strong week.
0: And that's a fair point. They're good enough to at least beat those teams. Many would say that they're taking advantage of of mediocre conferences where they can get easy winning percentages. In, you know, let's say they go beat a team that's twenty and five in a very weak conference, they get advantage of that. But here's something I'm started to spot too: the UAA's SOS numbers are very strong as well. But they do play a double round robin. So is this maybe the 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 uh, fly in the ointment when it comes to the NESCAC argument is looking at the UAA?
10: Yeah, I haven't done a ton of my own research on as far as historical trends for the NESCAC, but I also noticed that this year that the UAA um, does have as high or higher numbers uh, than the NESCAC does. And um, in some years, I think the WIAC has been like that as well. I think the high SOS numbers are just the case of uh, being a strong league and having your your conference win a lot of non-conference games, so that way once you are getting together to play, um, you're all boosting each other's SOS numbers because you just – destroyed your entire region out of conference
0: and certainly you know the 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 argument is who they're playing and certainly you can make the argument of who they're playing but the double round robin is not necessarily the argument for why the sos is up
10: yeah i I mean it's, it's probably a portion but i don't think it's the full thing i think i think their sos is up because they're a good league for the most part
0: Gordon reminds me the UAA and NESCAC also lead the country in non-conference winning percentages almost on a yearly basis, and that's kind of where we're getting this argument on Matt's side of why that SOS thus has increased. All right, so let me ask you this, and I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. We're going to probably get a lot of NESCAC teams in and a lot of UAA teams in. It's going to frustrate a few people who are sitting as bubble teams who don't have these SOS numbers. It does is the SOS maybe having a little bit too much influence as a result of this, or are we rewarding correctly?
10: I think in the case of these teams, uh, especially the five NESCACs, I think you're rewarding them correctly, at least as far as the data goes. Um, you know, The question might be if you're getting into a team with a 667 winning percentage and a high SOS if you're re- rewarding the SOS too much. But I think all of the NESCACs eligible teams, if I'm correct, are at least a 700 winning yeah. percentage. Yeah, which has are. been kind of the historical mark for um, kind of tournament acceptability. Um, you know, if, if you're a believer that their SOS is uh, sort of um, fake, then maybe you would say you're rewarding it too much. I don't think that's really too much in play here. So I think, I think five teams from the NESCAC is legitimate this year.
0: When you look at um, the SOS, what would you change to improve it?
10: Um, The biggest thing right now that I'm seeing is that the way that the home-away multiplier is applied, and I think we have talked about that in the past. Mm So um, I don't know how much we want to get into that today. No, go ahead.
0: Some people uh, haven't heard it before.
10: Yeah, so the intent of the home-away multiplier, as we talked about a few minutes ago, was to make road games appear harder on your schedule and home games appear easier on your schedule. Um, Kind of the thought to that is if you play a 500-team on the road, then their SOS impact becomes a little bit higher than five percentage, uh, than 500. If you play them at home, it becomes a little bit lower than 500. Um, but the way they're applying the numbers this year and maybe the past few years as well uh, is they're taking kind of raw numbers of games and total games played. So I'm, I'm going to get into the weeds here a little bit. But uh, it's really having a scaling effect on each game, not a harder, easier effect. Um, and it kind of looks okay when you're talking about Um, home games but it really messes up on road games because what they're doing is they're applying the 1.25 multiplier on a road game and if you happen to play a really poor team it magnifies that effect so really instead of making it harder or easier if you're home or away it has a uh, kind of a magnifying effect for a road game and a shrinking effect.
5: How would you fix it?
10: What I think they need to do is go back to the percentage method that I believe they were using five years ago. Um, I wasn't maybe paying quite as much attention to it as I am now, Um, but they would take each game, let's say you played a 500 team, you played a 700 team, you played an 800 winning percentage team, and they would put the multiplier on those percentages and then average all those percentages. And I think if you do it that way, it works out to have the multiplier um, have that – that you originally intended
0: it where's the biggest difference in those two maths that you've seen this year like if there's a school out there that's got an x number and you did the math the other way what's the biggest because it doesn't affect everybody equally because it all depends on everybody's schedule and and who they're playing and where they're playing them but when you do that math is there one school that jumps out of you of having a huge shift in their sos
10: um there's a few that are kind of near the top um it's actually shifting their sos by about point between 0.05 and 0.06. And one of those top uh, teams is going to jump out at us. That's Amherst. Um, so the way that their SOS is being calculated right now, it's 597, which is um, maybe one of the top in the country. And if you calculated it with the percentages, as I just laid out, it would be 543. Wow. So it's still quite strong and probably strong enough to get them into the tournament with some of their other criteria, but that's having a really huge impact on them. Um, but they're not alone up there like Latorno and, um, um, even Whitman are actually getting a pretty positive effect from this as well.
0: Interesting. So it's obviously had to cross the board, and it just depends on schedules. This, this, isn't, this isn't something like, uh, I mean, Middlebury could end up being the same. It all depends on how these teams are scheduling teams and who they're playing and where they're playing these games. It's, it's not a, a blanket um, shift.
10: Correct, yeah. It, it ranges from um, bumping some teams up by as much as that .05, .06, and on the other side, um, not quite as low. Um, 0.03 on the decrease is kind of the low side. Um, There's kind of an outlier there at rust at minus 0.07, but there they kind of have a weird road-heavy schedule.
0: Yeah, Yeah, rust is a whole nother connotation, Um, one we barely even know of. Um, Well, man, I appreciate it. Is there anything about this SOS that I haven't asked you that's important to nail down?
10: Um, I don't think so. We kind of covered a lot there. Um, I know people love hearing about math over the radio, so... um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) um well i appreciate you taking the time Uh, i know it's it's a complex thing there's no way we can do it total justice but i do like having you come on and at least give us a a brief idea of what's all about and what's going on and how it's being applied um and in your opinion just quickly do you think it's being fairly applied or having too much impact or too little impact
10: I think it's being pretty fairly applied. Uh, I think the committee now in year, what what year are we in the SOS model? Uh, oh, geez. It's been a while now. Seven or eight maybe? Uh, yeah, I think they have a pretty good idea now of, uh, you know, when to reward teams that are kind of hovering around that 700 mark and when not to. I think a few years back we maybe went too far toward the SOS mm-hmm. and we're kind of coming back a little bit. Um, you know, me personally, I would be okay with some of those six, sixty, seven teams getting in on occasion. Um, but I think the committee probably rightly um, hedges toward the winning percentage when they're not quite sure.
0: Yeah. With it being its own criteria, I think you're right. I think they, at some point their argument is you know what? It doesn't matter how strong your schedule is, you still need to win games. Um, and that's where the scheduling gets to become a bit of a science. So, Matt, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I always get, even if you are just the stats guru, I do give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts, sir?
10: Um, no, just uh it's great great fun following Division Three. It's the the best uh best division out there. Um just enjoy Selection Sunday and uh have a have a good uh um what am I even trying to say? Have a good weekend coming up.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. We're gonna have some fun. Thank you so much for coming on and enjoy the rest. I know will you'll chime in when you can, sir.
10: All right. Thanks,
0: Dave. All right. Matt Snyder joining us. He is our strength of schedule guru. He's done the men's math because of the multiplier being a little bit more complicated. You can then, again, find those numbers on our website. Uh, he has double checked to make sure that they're as close to accurate to the NCAA's model as possible. So you can take them as face value if they're off. Sometimes they're off by point zero zero one, which is really nothing. Um, the women's is is, again, automatically calculated by ourselves because they don't use the multiplier. But those links are available. If you are curious, they are up to date. Um, as of now, which we also know the NCA as well. Um, going to take a couple more questions, and then we're going to get going. Andrew, if you don't know where Rochester is, please open a map. Um, let's see here. Look, double-checking to make sure there's not some questions I thought might get through. Where do I see the predict Bowdoin women and New, Eng- and New England women going? Um, I'm hoping we can get these teams to as many different places as possible, maybe at least one of them down in New Jersey and maybe one of them into upstate New York um andrew rochester new york is where rochester university is located um so we'll uh, let's see if we got a, i'm double checking my email to make sure there's no other questions in there because i know we got bombarded and we did <laughs> do you think concordia university wisconsin women's basketball team will get in that large bid uh no i don't think they will but we'll i'll double check later to to confirm bethel's men's and women's teams where do you see the bethel men's team playing first round and who um, Did I miss something? Did Bethel get in and I just totally forgot about it? Hold on a minute. And they could have. Oh, yeah, and Bethel did. They beat St. John's. That's right. I totally forgot about that. Uh, Bethel, um, <laughs> they're, they're another one of those squads they're going to have to ship somewhere. Um, I'm not really sure. They're definitely going into the central region against one of those top heavyweights in there um we'll see that's a great question on the men's side on the women's side uh they got to get in um i think it's gonna be close i'm nervous if they're gonna get in to be honest with you i don't know if the bethel women can get in um let's see yep that's a peyton that is a long question how about i get oh question is with the eagles uh, no peyton let me get back to you at a later time, We're going to take another break. When we come back, we will start our selection process on the men's side. You can continue to fire your questions our way. I will do my best to try and answer them. Just I can't guarantee you uh, I will be able to see all questions, and we will continue to try and find a way to give you answers. So um, stay tuned. Uh, we are going to do our selections coming up. For the men's and women's MSJA MSJ men on which side of the bubble? MSJ men are on the outside looking in, but could possibly make it. Um, I will never. Da, 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 da. Um. Yeah, Alan says I will never see two Great Lakes women's in a sectional in New England again. DePaul versus Calvin in Emmanuel in 07 was a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Yep, you are absolutely right. Unfortunately, that just won't happen. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will start going through the selections on the men's side, starting with the top and working our way down. Pretty much can tell you probably who our first pick will be. Well, maybe they won't be. We shall see. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com. From the WBCA and ABC Studios, we'll be back with more Hoops right after this.
10: College
2: basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center.
4: You imagine your finest moment, the game-winning shot that gets you to the dance, a monster dunk or no-look pass, and cutting down the net. Sports us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court.
10: I'm a current Division Three student-athlete, and I remember how intimidating the first year of college can be.
11: So if you're a first-year student-athlete
0: and nervous about coming out as LGBTQ, I pledge to stand by your side as your ally.
2: If you can play, you can play Division Three. We
12: are Division III student-athletes,
13: and you can be,
10: too.
2: If you
13: can play, you can play in Division
4: III. Defining moments championship dreams share the experience with your family and friends the 2017 NCAA Division III men's basketball championship March 17th and 18th at the Salem Civic Center in Salem Virginia visit NCAA.com
3: slash tickets for your tickets today my name is Marcus Walker I was all-state won a state championship a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center.
9: When George Fox University was founded in 1891, its creators envisioned two things, a challenging educational experience and a community where students could deepen their faith. hundred and twenty-five years later, the core of who we are remains unchanged and our focus on the whole person, our be-known promise, remains as vibrant and relevant today as it was back then. At George Fox University, you'll never be a number. You will be known.
12: Cheer for the stumbles. The he shoulda had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified, it's in those moments that champions are born. Cheer for the stumbles. The he shoulda had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified, It's in those moments that champions are born.
5: We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're at D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com.
14: For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more.
6: Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about teams.
14: That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world.
6: Help us keep that dream alive.
14: You can make a difference.
3: My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Defining moments.
4: Championship dreams. Share the experience with your family and friends. The 2017 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 17th and 18th at the Salem Civic Center in Salem, Virginia. Visit NCAA.com slash tickets for your tickets today. Defining moments. Championship dreams. Share the experience with your family and friends. The 2017 NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 17th and 18th at the Salem Civic Center in Salem, Virginia. Visit NCAA.com slash tickets for your tickets today.
7: Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Sorry for the delay there
0: as we're setting up for our first conference call, as it were, for the show. Time to start selections on this show for men's basketball the basic of this is we are going to be selecting who we think the committee will be selecting remember our selections are mock they're not real however we got a pretty good track record over the years though we'll be trying a new crew so if it doesn't work out this remember it's ryan and bob's fault not mine okay uh i totally kid uh these guys uh, have been doing just as much work as i have on this And hopefully this all works out for you guys. Uh, We will try and answer your questions, but remember, we're going through this a little bit like the committee will. The first couple of picks, I promise you, are going to fly by. We pretty much know who's going to go in early, but then it's going to start picking up. And we will be taking some breaks along the way, and we'll also get some interviews in there so we can do some work behind the scenes. So without further ado, let's bring in Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott. Ryan, to your video left is... Uh, our around the nation columnist and a uh, Eastern Nazarene graduate. So he knows basketball. Uh, Bob Quillman on the right is a former uh, Illinois Wesleyan broadcaster. He's an alum of Illinois Wesleyan. He is a super fan of Illinois Wesleyan. He knows good basketball. Um, That would be the difference between the two guys. (laughs) Um, So these are going to be the experts for the men's selections. And um, we're going to go from there now. To give everybody a sense, we have done some digging. We have gleaned some information and we have discovered what we believe are going to be the regional rankings when they are released tomorrow. What we have is subject to change. No, we're not going to just blurt out where everybody is seated. We will mention where we think, or ranked. We will mention where they are when it's appropriate, but we're not going to sit here and now tell you exactly what the Northeast and all those are. Um, We will just kind of give you a sense as we go along. Babson losing is going to be interesting. We'll see if MIT was going to be an at-large pick or not as we get further down. Um, It may or may not have popped the bubble here at the last minute. Um, I think all championship games are over. Is that correct, Ryan? Yeah, everything's done, men and women. That's what I thought. I just wanted to confirm, so thank you very much. So um, here's what we've gathered in terms of regional rankings um, in the sense that in the Atlantic, we believe um, that Newman stayed number one. Ramapo uh, was number two. And that the key here is that New Jersey stayed ahead of Cabrini. Uh, you know, there could have been a change. Those two teams kept swapping spots. Um, and then, uh, so the, as a result, New Jersey City is going to be our first team at the table in the in the uh, Atlantic. In the Central, River Falls finished one. Wash U finished two whitewater finished three then augustana so that would i believe put whitewater correct
11: yeah correct whitewater Whitewater is at
0: the table out of the central right thank you east region uh rochester we already knew was going to be at the table uh if they as long as they stayed number one they stayed number one st john fisher was two rochester goes to the table first because they did not win the uaa we all know that wash U did um, Babson was the number one. There's an argument that we learned that Babson was one, Middlebury was two, that certainly Middlebury could have moved ahead of Babson, But it's irrelevant since Babson is an at-large team now. They're going to be the first one to the table. Uh, in the south, we believe it, We know it's going to be Emory to the table. Emory jumped up to number two last week, and they stayed there. Also, the next team would have been Letourneau, and I didn't see Letourneau jumping Emory. So Emory's going to be the next team at the table. Great Lakes, the first team at the table in the Great Lakes, is going to be Hope um thanks in part to them moving staying ahead of Mount Saint Joseph I was a little worried they might not be able to stay ahead of Mount St Joseph but it came down to basically the win uh, the SOS and they had a slightly stronger SOS in the mid-atlantic the first team to the table is going to be Susquehanna um I don't think any surprise there and on the west the first team to the table no surprise here either is Whitworth so there's kind of where we're sitting on the first pick and I think this one's going to be relatively easy guys but That's let's the- remember- uh, relative, Yeah, I was going to say, ba- Bob
11: Babson? B- Babson, good with you? <laughs> We're uh, unanimous, guys. Babson, they just got knocked off about an hour ago, and uh, they're, they're in.
0: Yeah, I thought we might just get that one done with. So Babson's going to be in, and that will move uh, in the Northeast. That will move Tufts to the table. Just a reminder to everybody, we are looking at five primary criteria, which are their overall winning, the overall in division win loss percentage, meaning if you played a non division three team or you didn't play enough regional teams, that could be different. Your results versus regionally ranked opponents your SOS, along with other criteria. So that's primarily what we're working on. This will get a little bit more nitty-gritty as we get further down. So first pick down, Babson. By the way, Bob, you should mention you are keeping kind of everybody a adrift of what we're doing on, on the Pool Seaboard, correct, sir?
11: Yeah, there's a Pool Seaboard out there, so hit refresh often. I'm uh, listing the picks as, as we make them here. So if you check the Pool Seaboard, you'll find that post, and you can keep refreshing that message.
0: And I will... Try and send out a link to that, folks, as soon as I can. Um, um, So, again, first at the table was reset. So now we move Bapson off, which was kind of obvious, and we move Tufts on. Uh, Tufts has a 20 and 6 win loss, which is a 769. They're 4 and 4. As best we can tell, results versus regionally ranked opponents, that number could be slightly off. Their SOS was a 566. Um,. Just to give everybody an idea, in the Atlantic, New Jersey City's SOS is a 532. In the Central, Whitewater's is a 566. In the East, uh, Rochester's is a 534. In the South, um, Emory's is a 547. In the Great Lakes, Hopes is a 523. Susquehanna in the mid atlantics a 556. And in the West, it is Whitworth with a 544. So a lot of very similar SOS is all kind of grouped together, guys.
11: And, you know, the, the thing here, Dave, is when you look at the Northeast, you can't get too hung up in the Pool C order here. Uh, some people are probably thinking, shouldn't Williams be ahead of Tufts? Where does, uh, where does Amherst fit in? Where does Wesleyan fit in? I, I think it's safe to say that that about five of the top ten pool C picks or so are going to come from the Northeast. The way it looks to me. So don't get overly hung up right now. If you're you're thinking, well, why is Tufts on the board instead of Williams? Uh, we'll we'll get to Williams really quickly anyway.
0: Yeah, I, Williams was also coming from a little bit deeper in the hole. Um, from what we've gathered, Williams actually jumped up the regional rankings. That's going to be trouble for Amherst, for example. Uh Amherst really did not do themselves any favors despite a really strong SOS. Their win loss percentage is kind of putting them in a bind here. They may get caught out. I am not saying they're not out. We're not done yet. We're nowhere close to done here. Um uh, but Williams jumped up. They did what they needed to do, Ryan. We said they had to probably get to the championship to have a chance.
15: Yeah, I mean that that was the thought that that at least to be confident that they were gonna get in, they need to get to that championship game in. Um, like Bob said, when they're so packed close together there, you never know you know, whether you're going to end up as the first team to the table or the fifth, and that can make you a little nervous. But the SOS, they're all so strong with those Nescaq teams that, that most of them should be okay.
0: Um, just looking at things, I don't want to – it's a second pick. I don't want to be, like, boring ourselves too far here. But I, I, I think it's safe to say the Atlantic's going to have to wait a little bit to get into this conversation. I think the Mid-Atlantic may have to wait a little bit too in Susquehanna, though 20-5 and five is pretty darn solid. And the 556 might actually get them into the conversation sooner than I'm getting here. Amory um, with that 18 and seven is going to probably have to wait a little bit. I don't think we're going to get into that pick. So I'm kind of looking at the Northeast with Tufts at 20 and six with a 566, but I'm also staring them straight down at 21 and four and 534 out of Rochester. Is there a pick out of this eight group, guys, that you like more than others, or are you kind of? It's kind of getting already a little muddy.
11: Well, I think this is the point that the process, Dave, where you say that we know that there is a, an elite group of pool C resumes and it's it's almost not worth splitting hairs too much at this point. So, you know, I would throw out there. Um, I, I think candidates that, that are on the board right now would be Susquehanna, uh, Whitewater, Rochester. We pick one of those and we kind of keep rolling. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, Ryan, your thought?
15: Yeah, I was thinking Susquehanna, Whitewater, and Tufts as pretty even teams, um, with Rochester right there behind them. So even if we did all four of those, I'd be comfortable with it.
0: Bob, would you just want to get that done so we can save save our time for all the brutal stuff?
11: Yeah, let's get in. Let's let's kind of do it in order so we uh, put the right teams back on the board. So let's just for the heck of it take uh, UW Whitewater. Okay. So from the central. And then we'll have to talk about in a second who replaces them on the board. Let's put Susquehanna up there. And let's put Rochester on the board. All right. And uh, let's put Tufts up there. Again, yeah. uh, don't get overly hung up in the order there. We're we're kind of quickly saying that those four are in in some order. Yeah, I mean,
0: honestly, the order means jack nothing in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it may mean something at the end as to who the last teams in are but it certainly won't mean anything in the in when we uh, talk about, um, you know, be, what order you get in is not how determining your bracketing. Let's put it that way. So it's not going to make that big a de- deal. So, again, just to remind you as I'm, I'm waiting, uh, my computer's a little slow here. So we've d- now taken, um, let's see, Whitewater off the board. So Augustana is now on the board out of the central. It remains yep. with New Jersey City on the board out of the Atlantic. In the east, we now jump to... I believe Oswego. Oh no, down to Skidmore. Correct. Skidmore. Yeah. Skidmore ended up being fourth regionally ranked. St. John Fisher was two, and Oswego three, as the information we've been told. So we believe Skidmore is sitting fourth, nineteen and seven overall, six and one versus regionally ranked opponents. So that data may be from last time. I'm not sure that's completely accurate, um, and that's not a big deal. We just have to figure that. Out. You know, we'd have to figure out if that's adjusted. And a 5.26 SOS um in the northeast williams is now at the table at 19 and 7 and this is where things really start getting interesting in the records With a 592 sos and a 7 and 4 versus regionally ranked opponents as of last week emory still at the table um as we have mentioned hope is still at the table as we have mentioned Did we take Susquehanna? I totally, yes, we did take Susquehanna. So that means um, we jump all the way down to Salisbury. Salisbury ended up being sixth ranked in the region as Swarthmore and Lycoming were four and five. So Salisbury now at the table. 20 and seven, three and four versus region ranked opponents with a 545 SOS, pretty solid. And in the West, we continue to have Whitworth at the table, 23-4 and four with a five forty-four. But Whitworth was also 0-3 versus region-ranked opponents. They were the same team. It was Whitman, all three of those games. That might so come just back. A, uh,
11: just a quick recap then. So our team's on the board right now, just so uh, we, we and all the viewers are on the same page. We've got Williams from the Northeast. Yes. We've got Salisbury from the Mid-Atlantic. Yep. We have Augustana from the Central. We've got Skidmore from the East. We have Whitworth from the West, New Jersey City from the Atlantic, Hope from the Great Lakes, and Emory from the South. We all we all good there, guys?
0: I'm good there. That's right. Um, actually, you know, I just remembered something I wanted to call up. Ryan did some work. I need to call that up. <laughs> there, it's downloading. Good. There we go. Now it's open for me.
15: So this next part, uh, just to jump in, seems like where we really start getting into some of the discussions between SOS and, and winning percentage, I'm looking at Whitworth, you know, 852 winning percentage, 544 SOS. And then Williams with the 731 winning percentage, but a 592. It's sort of the poster child for that. Do we we move it? We know the committee works with a 0.3 in the the SOS versus two wins. But here we've got a 0.5 versus four wins. Is that something we want to consider? It's certainly something they're going to talk about.
0: Well, what they're going to do is they're going to say 0.03 equals two and 0.06 equals four. If it's either 0.03 equals two, and we can play that game, but we can't play the beyond that. I mean, we're not going to be able to go, you know, say, hey, it's 0.5, so that's 0.45 and and or 0.045, and thus that's that's three games. No, it's it's just two games. Oh. Um, and I yes, that's where we're going to get here. So what are you're going two games with? We'll take basically two wins away from Williams, which puts them at 17 and nine. No, yeah, 17 and nine. With their SOS, com- or compared to, the other to yeah, no, 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 I'm saying, seventeen and nine with somebody else's SOS, right? Who's your other SOS, Ryan?
15: I was looking at Whitworth.
0: Whitworth, thank you. So Whitworth is twenty three and four. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're you're right. I had I went the wrong way with Williams. So Williams <laughs> is now twenty one and five, and Whitworth is twenty uh, one and six. I think <laughs> yeah,
11: at
14: this
11: point. To me, separating factors here that that Williams five ninety two SOS is uh, is one of the highest numbers on the board, and uh, the seven wins versus regionally ranked opponents is also boy that might be the highest number on the board. So I, I think even despite seven oh four, which in in most years seven oh four you're you're down at spot 18, 19, 20, but seven oh four with five ninety two and seven and four, I think Williams gets to the uh, to the board here. I'm just
0: curious. The one thing we would, too, look at is not just the fact that they have seven wins against regionally-ranked opponents. Who are those seven wins? You know, who'd they beat? Well, they beat Amherst uh, once. Um, I'd actually call that up real quick. I'm sorry, because I thought I had that memorized, and I didn't. Um, only because sometimes a seven wins against, let's say, teams eight, nine, and ten aren't going to compare to somebody else's four wins against one, three, and six. You know what I'm saying, sure. so they would look at that just to say, okay, really, where did Williams play these games, and who did they beat, and all that jazz. Uh, so Williams has wins over. Uh, well, they're lost to a Wesleyan. They beat lost to Amherst. Um, uh, they won uh Hope. They He's beat. The they beat Middlebury. So they beat a number two. Yes, they beat Hope. That's a good one, Bob. Uh, and Hope is regionally ranked by our check fourth and sitting at the table. So they've got a win over a table opponent. That's the other thing in play here. Um, they have a win over Middlebury, as we mentioned, and it's a solid win 89 65. They have a win over Wesleyan, who's on, on the. They have a loss to Tufts, and they have a win against Tufts. So uh, Mid- Williams' resume is pretty solid here.
11: Yeah, it's a matter of if we put them in this line or the next line. So I'd say spot number six, let's go ahead and write Williams in and uh, put another Northeast team on the board. What do you say, Ryan? You good with that? Yep,
0: sounds good to me. Yeah, so we'll take Williams here. Williams doing what they needed to do. If they had not beaten Amherst, they're not in this conversation, I don't think. They don't pick up wins 18 and 19 to even be having this conversation they would have been sitting at 17-8 and eight and out of the conversation. So this is why sometimes doing well in your conference tournament can save your season.
15: And the SOS improved tremendously during that, you know, getting three games in the NESCAC tournament really helped their SOS as well.
0: Well, and the NESCAC, NESCAC being deep this year helped too. The NESCAC is eight teams deep with really good teams and good records. If it's a traditional tournament, they may not have that boost in the SOS. So yes, Williams certainly did what they needed to do against a really good conference. And so they are into the tournament, which brings Eastern Connecticut State um were they, no, and they, a- won. they won. So that they now brings Wesleyan Am- to the table. Wesleyan stays ahead of Amherst, 19 yeah. and 6, so less lost than Williams, four and three versus regionally ranked opponents, but a, a Point or point zero three difference in SOS, they have a 560. So now William, Wesleyan replaces Williams at the table. And now at least Whitman, I think, now has a stronger argument in this, or Whitworth has a stronger argument in this case.
11: Yeah, Whitworth versus Wesleyan, if I'm looking at the right numbers, guys. So we're talking winning percentage, Whitworth, 852, Wesleyan, 760. Wesleyan has an edge in SOS. Uh, Wesleyan has four wins over regionally ranked, and Whitworth has zero. And uh, when I look at that, I think the NESCAC uh, parade continues. What do you think? I mean, I think Wesleyan probably uh, is the next best pick. What do you guys think?
15: We're, we're judging based on what we think the committee will be working on, right? So we're looking at an SOS that's only 0.2 away, but there's four wins difference. I feel like that might be one where they go with Whitworth, even if some of the other criteria aren't as strong.
0: Yeah, I'm yep, kind of leaning towards cool. Whitworth too. I think that 23 and 4 is is now kind of screaming bloody murder that they've got to jump in. Yeah, they're 0-3 versus regionally ranked opponents. They're gonna notice that those all are Whitman. Um they're gonna notice some good games there. Yeah, I'm I'm kinda with Ryan here. I think Whitworth now starts to make a play here and 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 gets selected before Wesley. I think is gonna have an interesting time here at the table a little bit.
11: So we will put Whitworth as our seventh selection. Now the question is who is the next West team, guys? So once, yep. once Whitworth leaves, does that go all the way down to St. St. Thomas. Thomas.
0: Yeah, so number three jumping in was Claremont-Mudd-Scripps, which I almost wanted to, you know, I don't think they're there if they had lost. Um, so I, I think they're if they had been in at large, is irrelevant. I think they would have been further down if they lost. But then Warburg one was was in fourth and one, so St. Thomas now comes. to, they were fifth in the regional rankings from the information we were able to garner, or as we jokingly say, clean. 19-7 uh, regional rankings last time. They were 1-2 and two versus regionally-ranked opponents with a 529 uh, SOS. This is where things get a little bit tough in the West. St. Thomas's resume doesn't jump out like everybody else's. Um, and again, they're at the table with New Jersey City. They're at the table with um let's see sorry they're on the table New Jersey City they're at the table with Augustana they're at the table with uh Williams and in the south it's it's Emory correct yep Emory and in the Great Lakes Hope is still there along with Salisbury from the mid-Atlantic um
11: you know the the interesting thing is so St Thomas hits the board here at at round eight. And I, I guarantee you we're going to be pretty deep in the process before we really get serious about, about about the Tommies here. Because if you look yeah. at their resume, so you're right. I mean, the the West could have one team, one Pool C or two, but it's not going to be more than two. We'll we'll see as it plays out. But St. Thomas could sit around for a while here. Yeah, yeah.
0: I completely agree with you. And this is those things. We're an Atlantic team, like a New Jersey City could be at the table though I don't think as long but this is where when we say listen they could be at the table a long time this is an example of that remember no, we had some teams think, uh, sit at the table the whole
11: night and never get back if I picked. could send uh the Wiac could I send the Wiac back to the west could I get that done guys cuz then I could <laughs> <get that done. laughs> I can solve a problem. I want to get
15: that done. so so IWU has a better shot right you want to get the west? <laughs>
11: Let's get rid of the Wisconsin school. <laughs> Lock this in, guys. Uh, I,
0: I, yeah, the old school way of doing it uh, as of a couple of years ago. Well, I mean, this is going to get interesting, too, because Skidmore is also going to be a very similar record uh, to St. Thomas in 19-7, similar SOS in 526. The results versus regionally ranked as better. It's 6-1 and one according to the information we got last week. I don't know how much that has adjusted um in the south emory's still at the table here but now you know they're 18 and 7 it's not like they're much better than than the so how long do the does emory sit there though their sos is better hope is 20 and 5 i think this is where hope starts to get back into the conversation though with an sos of 523 salisbury's 20 and 7 with a 545 they now get a better argument i think at the table this is where it certainly gets a little bit more interesting
11: i'm looking at I'm looking at a couple teams. Let's first zero in like Wesleyan versus Salisbury. Wesleyan's got the edge in winning percentage, got the edge in SOS, has the edge in wins over regionally ranked. I would take Wesleyan over Salisbury. If I look Wesleyan over New Jersey City, if I look Wesleyan over Hope, back to Wesleyan in all of those head-to-heads. I don't know. What do you guys think?
15: Yeah, that was the one I was thinking next, although it's a little closer than you might think with the SOS they have.
0: Yeah, the only other thing I was going to say about Wesleyan is, and and I I like them, but um, I'm I'm going to have to look up their schedule. Salisbury has a win over Christopher Newport that I think becomes a factor here because it's a win over a number one regionally ranked team. Um, Wesleyan, on the other hand, and granted there's two losses to CNU as well, but they're both close. Wesleyan, on the other hand, I don't think has a big win on their resume, if I'm not mistaken. Now they have a win over Williams, who was ranked four.
15: Who's a one?
0: That's true. They did beat Marietta. There is your one. Thank you. Uh, that's a good one. Yep, that's a good one. Uh, and Marietta came back on that too. Remember at one point we didn't think they'd be number one in the region, but they came back in. And then they're gonna look at which is strong, which is a stronger number one. It's Christopher Newport or Marietta, but that might get a little too uh, a little too in the weeds. Um so yeah, Wesleyan's starting to look pretty strong here. Uh, I think I agree with the comparison to the uh, to the Mid-Atlantic. I'm just making sure in the Central, we got Augustana in 19 and 8 and a 543. It's a similar resume, Bob. Is Augustana making an argument here?
11: I think Augie's going to have to wait just a little bit uh, and check me on my data here, guys. Augustana and 542 and two and two. Yep. So Wesleyan's got Augustana in in winning percentage, SOS and RRO. So I you know I think Wesleyan has the edge over Augie here.
0: Just to make the argument, Skidmore is at 19 and 7, a 7.31, um, West got them a little bit there, and the SOS is a significant difference at 0.03, which is going to wipe out Skidmore in the conversation. Emery is uh, 18 and 7 with a 5.47. Uh, I think Wesleyan still got them there in the Great Lakes. Hope's the only one I got in the equation, but their SOS is so significant. It looks like it wipes out Hope's win-loss percentage, essentially. Um, yeah, I'm starting to think Wesleyan's getting in here.
11: Yeah, at this point, you know, you're know, you looking for the, the teams with really no holes in those three data points, and we're still at the point where we have those teams, and Wesleyan has the, the winning percentage, the SOS, the R. Good. I think they've got the best case at this point.
15: Yeah, so I just asked if now maybe you could chime in from what you know about the committee. So we've got a case in which New Jersey City has two more wins total than Wesleyan, but their winning percentage is actually lower. Do you know how they weight that in terms of overall wins? Teams haven't played the same number of games?
0: I think they look at both. I think they look at, okay, what is the winning percentage? But they really like to tear apart those win-loss numbers. They like to say, okay how many games did you really win how many games did you really lose and who did you beat and who did you lose to if they're going to start parsing this stuff out they're diving into that as go especially the results versus regionally ranked you you bring up a good point that new jersey city with 21 wins and a 750 win loss percentage becomes an occasion so let's just quickly do it wesleyan is uh 19 and 6 with a 560 so let's take let's do the 0.03 equals two games so That makes them twenty-one and four. West uh, New Jersey City would become nineteen and five. Uh, Correction: nineteen and nine. That's not possible. Yes, nineteen and nine is possible. And that's where it starts getting interesting. So nineteen and nine, Williams jumps up and becomes twenty-one and five. And I think that's where Williams becomes the. I'm sorry, Wesleyan becomes the pick.
15: Yeah, and I think that's right. I would I would have agreed with Wesley beforehand, but I just thought that'd be a good thing to go over yeah. how they deal with something like that.
0: I agree with you. No, I, I like that. Uh, Bob, are you are you comfortable with Wesley in here? Absolutely. All right. So we yeah. will take Wesley. It is the
11: fourth NESCAC team in, and and we've we've been through eight picks. Yeah, right? <laughs> we've been through eight picks, and the fourth uh, new the 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 fourth new Northeast Pool C in eight picks.
0: Uh, yes, the fourth pick from the Northeast. And, but this is <laughs> also about, if you think this is a Northeast show, it's not. This is also about where the Northeast starts to lose a little bit of traction. Well, There's been not, a lot of talk about NESCAC getting five, and now it looks like a more reality.
11: Well, yeah, because the the next team that's hitting the board from the Northeast is, is, is going to be a team we talk about right away, and I think Amherst is the next one up, right?
0: It is, but you know what? We're going to take a break and catch our breath and just reevaluate where we are. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll take a look um, at Amherst and then may not make a pick. We may see if we can take a longer break to really dive into some things, but we're going to at least come back and look at the table. Again, Amherst at the table now. Four NESCAC, selected. Four Northeast teams have been selected in the first eight picks. He's Bob Coleman. He's Ryan Scott. I'm Dave McHugh. If you've got questions, we will try and answer them when we come back from this break as well. you listen to Hoops. will presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios.
5: We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade from Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're at d3hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com.
14: For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more.
6: Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team
14: that NCAA Division 3 teamed up with special Olympics and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream we are working to make this a better world
6: help us keep that dream alive
14: you can make a difference
3: my name is Marcus Walker I was all-state won a state championship high school all-american and played college and pro ball I played because I love the game I grind to be the best I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Defining moments.
4: Championship dreams. Share the experience with your family and friends. The NCAA Division III Men's Basketball Championship, March 17th and 18th, at the Salem Civic Center in Salem, Virginia. Visit NCAA.com/tickets for your tickets today.
0: And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, from the WBCA NBC studios. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. We're in the middle of our men's selections, and I uh, want for a couple quick questions that we have gotten from fans. Uh, what are the chances of Whitworth hosting a regional versus Whitman because of travel into Spokane versus Walla Walla? Sorry, Brendan. Um, the NCA is at least going to reward Whitman here. I don't see any reason why not. The only case that this might have been different would have been if we still had the buy system, there's a very good chance they would have flown the team into Whitworth uh, for the Saturday game because it would have been easier to get them into Spokane than into Walla Walla. But since we have a full pods now, I just don't see that happening. Um, but thank you for the question. Uh, another question came up um let's see what do you think of marietta's sos well steve we think nice of it but it doesn't matter they're into the tournament so <laughs> they're going to host i think it's pretty good uh derek asks us what do you think of skidmore st lawrence brockport and pool c as well as what do you think of the chance of the, who the hosts will be well skidmore is on the table right now in our mock selections and so that's what we think of skidmore i think brockport's got no chance but we still haven't gotten that far into the system so bear with us As we kind of work our way through it, I know there's other questions. I'm trying to get to them. It is hard to follow all the chat rooms, folks. New Jersey City deserves a bid. Their record against regionally ranked is solid, and they lost a buzzer-beater to Ramapo in the NJAC finals. You are right; they are at the table and they are being discussed. If you want to ask us questions, there's a scroll at the bottom of the screen to tell you how to do that. We will certainly best to answer questions. Uh, It's just not as easy as people think it is to monitor like six chat rooms all at the same time. Speaking of those selections, joining us on the City of Salem. By the way, City of Salem, host of the Men's Basketball Championship Weekend. Please consider coming to Salem for a chance to watch the 21st Men's Championship Weekend in Salem. Men's championship trophy handed out in Salem. But joining me on the city of Salem Skype hotline is Ryan Scott on the left and Bob 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 Quillman on the right, also better known as Titan Q. We are updating the um, the uh, our picks in the Pool C board, and I'm going to try and send out a link on that. I keep meaning to, so you can check them out yourself. Just so everybody knows, our pick so far, Babson, Sus- they're in order, but it doesn't mean we're exactly right on that. Babson, Susquehanna, Whitewater, Rochester, Tufts, Williams, Whitworth, Wesleyan are in. That's four Nescax. four Northeast. We know this is getting interesting. Uh, so now let's review who's at the table. Does anyone happen to have that on them
11: right now? Yeah, the team's at the table right now. So Northeast is Amherst. Mid-Atlantic is Salisbury. Central is Augustana. East is Skidmore. West is St. Thomas. Atlantic is New Jersey City. Great Lakes is Hope. And the South is Emory. Those are the eight teams under consideration right now.
5: Very good, sir.
0: Thank you very much. Anything that jumps out at you guys about these eight? You think there might be one that's kind of got a little bit more uh, uh, oomph, as it were?
11: Of the eight we've... uh, No, we have the table, yeah. Yeah, I I think it's time to take a good look at at either Salisbury or New Jersey so, yeah. you know, we've we've had the run on the NESCAC in the Northeast a little bit. I think Amherst 708, maybe we just we parked them for a second. But Salisbury, 741, 546, 3 and 4. New Jersey City 750, 533, 5 and 4. Um, we just had a, a question about New Jersey City, and, and somebody saying that uh, they should get in. And I think this is about the place where New Jersey City. Gets to the board. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm leaning that way. Five and four versus regionally ranked opponents. That does include a win over Ramapo. Uh, yes, it includes um, uh, two. Again, in when it's conference, that's understood. But that win, I think, certainly holds some water. And again, in the Mid-Atlantic, same with Salisbury. Three and four versus regionally ranked, and it includes a win over a number one in Christopher Newport. Uh, I don't like Hope's numbers in this situation, especially that 523 SOS with a 2-1 versus regionally ranked. I don't like Saint Louis' numbers at all, so I'm, I'm just breezing through that. Uh, Emory, I think their SO their uh, win-loss is hurting them in this c- argument too, because we got two 20-plus wins teams here. Um, you're right. Let's park Amherst with their 17 wins. I think that's starting to hurt. Skidmore's at 19 and 7. They're about the only one I think could enter this equation um, because they have a seven versus regionally ranked opponents.
15: I believe that one is New Jersey City, though. I think New Jersey City beat Skidmore this year. We have to double-check that. I
0: will do it right now, sir. Uh, I think you are right, by the way, off <clears> the top <throat> of my head. I kind of remember that game. Um, let's see
5: here.
11: Like that. Or not. The, the Skidmore criteria, it's a 731 winning percentage, which is good, not great. 527 SOS, which is you know on the lowest side at this point, where Skidmore's resume is strong is if I have this right six and one versus regionally ranked. Uh, had, if Skidmore didn't have that number, we'd be, they'd be down end of the bubble kind of team, but mm-hmm. I think that six and one is what keeps Skidmore in, it, in the conversation.
0: I agree with you. Uh, Skidmore did not play um, New Jersey City. They played college in New Jersey
11: oh Um,
0: right sorry trust me i've made that mistake before (laughs) there's too many initials in new jersey uh, for schools so that's where that one sticks out um yeah i and and you know they both have some significant wins i don't think skidmore enter can overcome that sos though the 526 compared to a uh 545 into that tricky zone and uh, 532. they're close enough that, that you can't play the 0.03 game but I think you do run into a, a problem excuse me um, you do run into a problem with it it just isn't better than them. And so they've got yep. better win losses and they got better SOSs. I think Skidmore now loses in those conversations. So I think, yeah, I think it's down to New Jersey city and Salisbury. Does anybody have a, a preference there?
11: I think, I think New Jersey city is probably the, uh, the, the pick here. And then we're probably going to very quickly get to, to Salisbury in the next pick or two. But uh, if you guys are good, I I'm thinking New yep. Jersey city. Yeah, I'm New fine Jersey. with that. Let's
0: take New Jersey good. city, which will certainly make them happy last year. They, I know that frustrated them greatly. They improved their SOS this year, plain and simple. And I think it made a difference. Welcome New Jersey City to the tournament, which, by the way, brings Cabrini to the table. And this will start evening off some of the conversations and making it tougher because Cabrini is nineteen and six, which is seven sixty win loss. They are two and three versus Regently Five Thirty Two SOS. They do have a a game against non-division three, making them nineteen and seven overall. But that number is probably not going to come into play. They lost that game, and unless somebody played that same team, it's not going to matter.
11: So the uh, the eight now that we're we're evaluating would be uh, Northeast Amherst, Salisbury, Central Augustana, East uh, Skidmore, West Saint Thomas, Atlantic Cabrini, Great Lakes Hope, South Emory, and uh, we just left off on uh, touching on Salisbury. I think I think the teams that are really the most in the mix here at this point, guys, would be Salisbury, and I tell you what, that Amherst SOS is. Yeah. Start- stare at me what do you got
0: yeah, let me just throw this out there if if we came down to um new jersey city and salisbury against everybody else and like those two and then cabrini replaces them and they're not any much better i almost feel like salisbury is the next pick here if nobody yep. else was comp- to appreciate the 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 amherst conversation here you're, you're right that sos is starting to rear its ugly head as is their five and five versus regionally ranked opponents
15: i think we're not quite there yet because we're not at a I mean I feel like if it was up to the point 0.6 we might be able to have some conversations there but I like Salisbury as the next team then.
11: Yeah, I do too. Let's put Salisbury and that's our 10th team. And uh remind me guys, so who's the next Mid-Atlantic? We have to go down a list here quite a bit. Yeah, don't so we?
0: Salisbury was a 6th ranked and it comes Moravian. They were the 7th ranked jumping into the conversation. 18 and 7 overall, 5 and 5 versus regionally SOS those was a 527. There may be some fans going, "Wait, they were 19 and 8." Well, they were 1 and 1 against non-division 3 opponents, so unless they played some common factors, that's probably not going to play in unless we're really trying to tie break a tie and go to overall record at 19 and 8. Um
11: Where's so, Catholic? Is is uh is Moravian ahead of Catholic? Is that Moravian correct?
0: is ahead that's of what? Catholic. Catholic slipped to eighth best we can tell. And I think it was because they were two and seven versus region ranked opponents, and their win-loss percentage is below seven hundred, and that's gonna become a factor here the rest of the night. That win loss percentage is six fifty-four. It's even below what we call the Mendoza line, the six sixty-seven. I think Catholic for good reason, is eighth. Moravian, though, interestingly enough, seventh. I don't know what kind of argument they're going to have here with numbers that they they got one more win than Amherst, for example, but their SOS is .07 different.
11: Well, yeah, Moravians, just looking at uh, their resume here, they have five wins over regionally ranked, which uh, which is going to stand out at some point. But, I mean, they, they could hang around a long time here.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think Moravian fans might be happy that they conversation to begin with. Um again, we're in the selection process. He's Bob Quillman. Uh Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, <laughs> you're played football. Well done. I'm, I'm Ryan
15: Scott,
0: <laughs> Ryan Scott joining us. We have ten picks so far just to recap. Babson, Susquehanna, Whitewater, Rochester, Tufts, <laughs> Williams, Whitworth, Wesleyan, New Jersey City, and Salisbury. I am trying to get that link out and I will do so somehow. I just got to call it up on a different page is basically what I need to do. Um, so you can yeah, it, see where it, we're it, posting. Um,
11: the uh, D3 boards, the uh, the pool C board. we've got a, a page out there and you can keep refreshing as we uh, add. All
0: right. So at the table, can someone remind me who we've got?
11: Yeah, we've got Amherst from the Northeast. We've got Moravian from the Mid-Atlantic, from the central Augustana. From the East Skidmore, from the West Saint Thomas, from the Atlantic Cabrini, Great Lakes Hope, and South is Emory. So we've had some teams that have been hanging around the board here. Ones uh, already.
15: I think it's time to talk Amherst, right?
11: Uh, I think so. I mean, they have a 598 SOS and uh, five wins versus regionally ranked ten games played. 708 isn't great, but you add 598 and five and five, it, Amherst jumps out from.
15: And they beat Babson, our number one team in the, the region as well. So,
0: I am tuning. I'm just trying to tweet this out,
15: guys, real quick. I'm just trying to come up with, you know, some other team that might be in comparison to them, and I don't see it. I, I feel like
0: Amherst got to yeah. be the next one up. My it's only not, wonder is, is how much do it. they dive into that seventeen and seven? I mean, seventeen wins. And I and I mean this seriously. Only 17 wins. You know, I don't know if they start looking at that percentage and say, okay, yeah, they were 708, which is right on that line that we worry about. Let's remind people that Rochester last year was, I think, 17 and 8, with a 560 something SOS. Certainly a little bit lower. Um, and we're left home. And I'm not saying Amherst is going to get left home here, but I think this is where that 17 wins total. Starts become problematic from that point too. Not saying it's not overcomeable.
11: So you make up a word.
15: Hope, the one that they're competing with. Who else are
11: are we looking at? Well, Do you I think that, like if you you could go to Hope here and they have a point eight zero zero, but five twenty five and two and one. Yeah. You compare that to Amherst that five ninety eight five and five, and just think that uh, you erase the difference in winning percentage when you look at those other two data points.
0: Now the interesting one I think might be Skidmore. Skidmore's got two more wins, so if you start playing the game of the .03 equals two, it doesn't equal off because they're a difference of .07 off. But I think that might be the one they at least start having the conversation about. You look at Augustana, they also have two more wins. Their SOS is actually closer at .05, so you can't play the .06 game, I don't believe. So Augustana's argument may come into play here. Granted, they're just two and two versus regionally ranked opponents. Cabrini's got two more wins and one less loss, but they're .06 away, so that has become a factor. So I'm wondering if Augustana has any play here whatsoever against Amherst.
11: So again, looking at it, we've, we got uh, Amherst has a little better winning percentage, 708 versus 704. Amherst has a much stronger SOS, 598 to 542. Amherst has four wins over regionally ranked five versus two. I still think if you look Amherst and Augustana that Amherst comes out ahead at this point.
0: Um I'm curious, Bob, you would know this better quickly off about Augustana. Who are their two wins against in regionally ranked opponents?
11: You would think that I would uh, would know this. I know that
0: I know <laughs> Amherst has one over Babson, so that's one of their five.
11: I know that
15: Augustana,
11: Augustana has a win. Uh so I guess I- IW wasn't ranked last week is the problem. So let's just pull up Augustana here.
0: Well, there. Well, remember one thing: this results versus regionally ranked is based on the current right. regional rankings. Because at the very end, they will re rank based on the updated numbers. So the results versus regionally ranked is not based on the final week. It's supposed to be banked on based on the teams we're seeing in front of us. So Augustana's got the Illinois Wesleyan on the regional rankings. So that's a set. Right. Um, and I don't know if that compares with the number one Babson in any way, shape, or form. Um. so there is a very solid chance that we're looking at five here from, I mean, I, I'm not disputing that, that Amherst isn't here. I'm just wondering, and I, cause I'm trying to the tea leaves from the committee. Is the 17 wins something the committee is going to sit there and go, is that really that large
11: team? That's the only it,
0: reason I bring it up.
11: It still comes down for the most part though, David, as far as I know to that winning percentage and, Seven oh eight is is enough competitive with five ninety-eight and five and five. I I, I know the level of seventeen, but you know, seven oh eight is seven oh eight. Um, whether we pick Amherst here or, or or round twelve, I think we're staring right there.
15: Yeah. I, I I would vote Amherst as well.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't have any they're gonna get in eventually at few. No problems putting them in here. And that would be a fifth NESCAC team. And I know having talked to those kind of, you know, behind the scenes that the chances of the NESCAC getting five had certainly come up in conversation.
11: Yeah. I think going into this, that was, that was something that was, that was really possible. And I guess the Northeast team that goes to the, uh, to the board, is it keen State?
15: Keen State would be next. Yeah. State. You know, we so Keene
11: State has got a 679. So I think we can say that that our run on the Northeast is going to be over for a a quite a while here in the process. That, they're going to be competitive at some point, but the the Northeast has had quite a run. But I think we'll talk about many other regions for
2: a, a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah,
0: 575 SOS is pretty strong from Keene State, but you're right that win loss of 679 is in trouble. By the way, just for everybody curious, MIT was regionally ranked behind Keene. Them beating Babson may have put them above. It doesn't matter. They got in. But just for so the record, them winning that game got them in the tournament, most likely. And I think we're going to discover it popped a bubble for somebody. Um, yeah. But we'll have to find out at the end.
15: MIT certainly would have been on the bubble. Uh, yeah. Maybe not even Absolutely. to the table without it. So Exactly. It big for
0: them. So that might be why the bubble burst for somebody else. So at the table in the Atlantic, it is Cabrini, 19-6, and 2-3 and three versus region-ranked opponents, in a 5 in the central region, it is Augustana, 19 and eight, two and two versus regionally ranked opponents and a 543. In the east, it's Skidmore, 19 and seven, six and one versus regionally ranked opponents and a 526. In the northeast, as we mentioned, Keene State, 19 and nine, three and four with a 575. In the south, it's Emory, 18 and seven, two and three versus regionally ranked opponents and a 547. Uh, Hope, 20 and five, still a 20 win team sitting here. Uh, twenty and five, two and one versus regionally ranked opponents, but a 523 SOS. In the Mid-Atlantic, it's Moravian, 18 and seven, five and five versus regionally ranked, opponents, but a 527. And in the West, it's Saint Thomas, 19 and seven, one and two versus regionally ranked opponents and a 529. I'll say it now, guys. It's ugly
11: <laughs> yeah we're, we're, we're to the point where I think the the really easy picks we're, we're at what 11 we've made 11 picks the really easy ones are done and now you're getting to the point where there's not a ton of separation and it's a matter of what you like you know what data over what data. I think the four at the table that are the top at this point in no order here Augustana Skidmore, Cabrini and Hope. And it's kind of a matter of do you like hope's winning percentage? Do you like to go with more of the SOS route? Um, those, to me, those are the four that we narrow it down to. Again, Augie, Skidmore, Cabrini, Hope. Do you guys
15: disagree with that at all?
0: No, I feel I feel that's about right. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think that feels comfortable.
15: The one question I would have is is with Emory whether they should belong in. It as well, Fair. Um you yeah. know they've got a better winning percentage than Augustana, a better SOS than Augustana.
11: Uh, No question. Yeah, You're absolutely right. Emery belongs there. there, There's really five. um, There's really five in the conversation at this point. You're absolutely right.
15: All right. So on
0: that note, I think what we're going to do is take advantage of an opportunity for us to talk and not bore the heck out of you. We also have had some coaches that we've talked about. So I think we're going to go to one of those interviews. In the meantime, Bob, Ryan, and I will continue working. And when we come back from those that interview, we'll at least uh, have some picks. Does that work for you guys? Sounds great. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. When we come back, I talked to Ramapo's men's McBreen. You're going to hear reference to me showing you the video of the game winner. Uh, we had so many questions, I didn't get around to it. If you missed the video of the game winner, though, spectacular game winner, half court by uh, their senior Bonacum, who nailed it. I'm sorry, junior Bonacum, who nailed the shot at to beat New Jersey City to get the AK. New Jersey City is in, according to our projections, but it certainly made for a great storybook ending to the New Jersey Athletic Conference's uh, title. So we're going to take a break, come back. I talked to Chuck McBreen. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this.
14: Love of the game. That's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that.
6: It's more about teams in the schools and communities we represent.
14: And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation.
6: An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense.
14: That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes.
6: And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive.
14: Be part of it.
6: Get involved.
14: You
8: can make a difference. I used to never really talk, ever.
9: I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than.
2: So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms.
9: If you can play,
8: you can play in Division III.
1: I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family, so now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III.
0: And welcome back to Hoopsville, our Selection Sunday special. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Uh, at this point in time, you've probably been fair warned, but if you're coming in just now, we are still in the process of our doing our selections, but this is a chance for us to do some work uh, behind the scenes and t- uh, have a chance to talk to coaches uh, who I actually pre-recorded earlier in the day. It's a system that works for us, so when we come back after this interview, we will have uh, probably had a couple selections done and have moved the process forward, and we will uh, catch you up at that point. Uh, don't forget, you can interact with us on Twitter, at D3 Hoopsville, and hashtag Hoopsville. You can follow the live simulcast on Facebook Live at facebook.com Hoopsville, and of course, um, you can uh, email us, hoopsville at D3 Hoops, Dot com. Again, we'll answer your questions when we can, and the selection process is still ongoing, but we'll get you who we've selected after this interview. One of the more exciting finishes, which we talked at the beginning of the show, was in the NJAC men's basketball. Um, a great battle between Ramapo and New Jersey City came down to the end, and it looked like it could have gone either way until the heroics of uh one of the seniors on the Ramapo squad pulled it off, as it were, half court heave, won it, runners, and they're heading back to the NCA tournament for the first time since 2013. More importantly, the another NJAC title, their fourth ever under coach Chuck McBreen. The seventh-ranked Ramapo's are dancing in March, and joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline is their head coach, Chuck McBreen. Coach, congratulations.
13: Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on the show. really no, appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time. First and foremost, that is probably, I mean, that is what dreams are made of. Win a conference title on a Hail Mary type of, of, of shot. Maybe it's sexier to have it maybe right outside the three-point line. But, the, I mean, that is literally what dreams are made of right there.
13: It was unbelievable. Just a storybook ending to only have 3.1 seconds left. And to get the shot off from just over a half court, and for it to go in, I never dreamed of that. And you know, it, I, if you saw the tape, I didn't even have a reaction. Was so crazy, <laughs> you know. I just, I didn't know. I, I, couldn't believe that it just happened.
0: I've seen a few coaches with that reaction this week on similar shots. Uh, you and Coach Barron at Gwinnett Mercy when they won the semifinals. He had the exact same. Like okay. Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, and Bonacom's been kind of the glue for your team for a long time. Um, he seems to be the guy you can turn to when maybe others are faltering or things aren't going the right way. Puts a lot on his shoulders. He's also the kind of guy who can find others in the right opportunities to, to hit big shots. So it seemed almost appropriate that he's the one that kind of won this won this title for you guys and clinched the NCAA berth for you. Yes, without
13: a doubt. He's our leader, and we go as he goes. And it was funny because with three second, 3.1 left, the kid had missed the first. They were down by one. Um Pachine Wasu had the shot. And I had one timeout left, and I saved it and iced him on the second. <laughs> and really, the coach moved because that really worked. So he goes, <laughs> he goes out and makes the second one after I tried to ice him. But what it did do, it allowed us to discuss in the timeout what we were going to do um, if he made it and they tied it up uh and all, and it was Tommy's suggestion to run the villain over play mm. uh for him uh he takes the ball out he would trail the play and uh, that's what we did we threw into Josh Ford he made an unbelievable catch if you saw the video yep. uh was able to take one dribble and Tommy sprinted up the floor we were hoping he would be able to get up further up the floor but the way it all unfolded he got to half caught when it to him and he let it go and it went in, it banked in. But to to his credit, and one of the reasons why he asked for the shot, was we practiced this. There's three guys on our team, him being one of them, and Chris Mosley, one other guy. They have, like, competitive competitions every day, and you'd be amazed at how many of them. uh, They shoot an unbelievable percentage. But when I tell you they do this, they do this almost every day to the point where it annoys me. You know, we're trying to either finish practice or, or move on to something, whatever it may be. Maybe it be start practice, and here they are. They always got to get one more. You know how that rubs the coach. Yep, so, yep. But, but I guess in this case, I, uh, from now on, I, I got to be okay with it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you, you've kind of lost the ability to cut them dry on this one because they're going to c- turn to you from now on and go, Coach, it, it works in a game. We need to practice this until we get it right. Exactly. Exactly. And as you said, leader on this team, leads a team with almost 18 points a game, um, more, almost seven rebounds a game, uh, the second highest on the team in that category, shoots 51% from the floor, 40% from beyond the arc, 77% from the free throw line. Uh, the team's leading uh, assist guy by by one over Ford. Um, you know, and, and then I think he's second on the team in steals. He really is the all-everything guy. And I know when I saw you guys... Uh, in Vegas, it seemed like you know there could be a game where you don't necessarily notice he's making an impact, and then there's another game where you notice that he is the impact. That's got to be a, a, a nice advantage to have. But how does the rest of the team play off and on with him?
13: They play off and you know really well what he's doing. You know, and, and you know a guy like if if Tommy's not looking to score and he's looking more to assist on a given night, then a guy like Chris Mosley will step it up like he did in the semifinal with 20 something points. So at the end of the day, and then Sultan is another one. You know, depending on how Tommy's going, if we feel we have the mismatch more inside with Tommy, we'll put Tommy down in there and bring Sultan to the perimeter. Or vice versa, if Sultan has the better matchup, you know, then Tommy will take the back seat and play more of a passer, you know, in trying to throw the high low or entering the ball into the post to Sultan. So as a result, all of our guys play play off of, off of Tommy, and and Tommy, to his credit, he will do whatever it takes on that given night to get the job done. So if it requires for him to step up and score, he had two games this year where we scored 33 where we were struggling, other guys were struggling, he stepped up and scored. And if he doesn't need to score, then he'll do whatever it takes, whether it be assist, uh, you know, rebound, whatever it takes, he will do.
0: When we talk about your team, I you know, obviously the advantage or maybe the disadvantage is we see you nearly every year at the Vegas Classic, which has allowed us to, to to understand kind of the the, in the outs of your squad and, and the NJAC a little bit. And one of the things I think I noticed the most this year was I thought everybody was kidding with me when when they said you didn't have any major changes at, at midseason. It's just part of the culture. It's part of the system. The inject transfers are very common. So what I'm getting at is this seems to be one of the cohesive teams that you've had in a number of years. In the sense that there aren't haven't been moving parts. There aren't guys that have had to get used to guys at midseason or later in the season. And you probably have gotten a little bit more comfortable with understanding who your go-to guys are, who your bench guys are. There's nothing new thrown in in the middle that all that at this point in the season, you guys are a very cohesive unit more so than maybe in any other
13: year. You're 100% on the money with that. Our team is the most cohesive unit that I've had in my 19th years at the college. They just have great character. Uh, they believe in one another that they do, and and different people that have been around the program for years, just talk about how unselfish they are and how much they play for one another. Uh, Nobody cares who gets the credit. All they want to do is win. So more so than other. And I don't know 100% if it has to do with not having any transfers at the break or not. From day one when we got, you know, we started with this group, you know, a couple years ago and started four of them as freshmen, kind of threw them to the fire, and they've gotten better and better each year. And I think being together as a collective group group, since their freshman year, they're all juniors now. We have the majority of this team back uh, at all. Uh, I mean, Tommy, Chris, Josh, our starters are all juniors, and that's when they came in three years ago. So they're a very cohesive group, and they love playing for one another. So, like I said, this is the best – Group I've had uh, of cohesiveness and character in my
5: 19 years at Rampo. Uh, Corey
0: Sohn's one of those seniors that uh, is going to be gone. Sultan, uh, another one of the seniors, and you have a third one in Jeremy or uh, Jermaine Pert. Uh, so, right, the core group. Bad news for everybody else. The core group comes back off this 25-win uh, team, um, and that's the other thing I find interesting. You're 25 and two. This is only the second time this program's ever hit. 25 wins and we're counting seasons that are already done so we're counting post already you have a very good record this year is there anything maybe we're missing about this team um is it, it it feels like it's maybe come not come out of nowhere I certainly don't want to say that we knew Ramapo was going to be good this year but it feels like you guys have taken a step forward even further than many expected you to
13: yeah, I, I think we have. I mean, it, it, it's still, in my opinion, until we get as far as the final eight team did uh, in 2003. Uh, you know, I, I said that to the team in the locker room. As far as the record goes, it, it's going to end up with the least amount of losses in school history. But until we break the wins of uh, 26 by that team or get as far as they got, you know, and all, I would still consider them the best team in our school history. But if we're fortunate enough to, you know, win and get through this weekend and move on, then that might change. But it, it's, it, it is quite a surprise. I, I thought we were going to be good, but I didn't know we were going to be this good.
0: At what point this season did, it, did you realize you had something really special on your hands?
13: I think when we got to Jersey City, well, first when we beat Salisbury out there, because I know how good of a job Andy does and how good Salisbury was. And when we beat Salisbury out there without shooting the free throw well, I mean, we went 15 for 31 in that game, yeah. but winning the game. So that was a good sign. Then we came back home, continued the win streak, and got to 14-0 and played Jersey City on their home court where they went undefeated this year. And we were down all game but never out of it. And then we closed the game strong, holding them scoreless for the last four twenty. And And I tell our team all the time, defense and rebound is going to win championships. And, and we held them scoreless and got the game the overtime and actually got the first four points of overtime and led by – four with three minutes to go, and even though Jersey City came back at home and won that game, at that point, I started to believe how good this team could be, that this could be something special.
0: So now ahead is the NCAA tournament. We'll obviously find out who you play uh, on Monday, tomorrow. We we certainly don't know right now as you and I talk, but, you know, the elephant in the room is that, you know, you guys have unfortunately not been able to duplicate um, um, at least, you know, the the decent run you had way back when um and have had faltered with some good teams in the first round before do you are you do you have to change the approach in any capacity to to maybe going into this week have you thought about how you want to prepare because i have a, a gut feeling the 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 uh, monkey on your back is you want to get out of your
13: you're so correct it it's a lot i i put added pressure on myself about this because it's been disappointing to me. You know, when I did it in 2003 to the Final Eight and then in 2005 to the Sweet 16, I thought that this, number one, would be a regular occurrence. <laughs> I was hoping that it would be a regular occurrence. You get to see, even though you had good teams that got back in the tournament, we went out in the first the second rounds the other year. So getting out of the first uh, weekend is huge for us this year. And if we don't, it will be a major disappointment to me. Uh, you know, a lot of these kids, this is their first time, and they don't about 2003, to 2005. Right. But for me and my staff, you know, that's the goal is to take this as far as we can and, and definitely get out. So we're preparing, you know, and, and my, my staff and I, and, and hopefully we're fortunate enough to get some home games because I think that's big. A lot of it's luck. I thought four years ago um, – we got a bad break when our governor was trying to pass legalized gambling in New Jersey and we weren't able to host at home and that year we were fourteen and one at home with our only loss being by one yeah. to our biggest rival William Patterson. So I felt if we would have got Morrisville caught in a game that I believe we lost by eight, I think that outcome could have been different, you know, and, and, and they ended up beating us, beating Rhode Island College and getting to the sweet sixteen. Yeah. Uh, and also, I thought four years ago we could have advanced if we would have been fortunate enough to host at home. So I'm waiting to see where tomorrow to see if we're going to be fortunate enough to host this first weekend.
0: I was going to say the other thing too is you were at least in a position last rankings, and I can't imagine that will change a lot to be in position to host. We certainly know that, you know, being the top of the rankings doesn't automatically mean you're a host, but it is in a very good. It gives you a better chance than anybody else. And it sounds like being at home is so important. The top of the NJAC, the three best teams in the NJAC, were all undefeated in the regular season at home. Yourselves, New Jersey City, and TCNJ. And the only one who lost was TCNJ at home against New Jersey City in the semifinals. So it feels like home court is a massive must for you guys if you could have it. 100%
13: 100% and and I, I worried during the season I was hoping I didn't put so much pressure on our guys about clinching that home seat and we talked about it in the locker room after we won the championship that if that game was at Jersey City, we'd probably come out on a losing end the other night because you don't battle back from 13 down uh, on a regular basis at Jersey City. We were 13 down in the second half with about 17 minutes to go and for us to be battling and pushing the bus uphill that whole half and to make some plays down the stretch. That was why it was so important to have that home game uh, at all. So we feel the same way about the tournament. All these teams at this point are good. And at home court, playing in front of your home crowd, the same routines, you know, as far as pregame meals and walkthroughs and all, being in your comfort zone is real important.
0: The other thing, too, is uh, obviously this is pre-tape for anybody who's not aware as we're making our selections and our mock selections on the show. We're doing some work behind the scenes. So I'm not sure if we have chosen New Jersey City to get in or uh, if they will be chosen, depending on when this interview airs compared to where our selections are in the process. Um, but New Jersey City is in a position to possibly get in uh, and we will obviously learn officially on Monday from the NCAA if they get in. I know the NJAC would love to have two teams in, but we were talking about the pressure of trying to do better as a program. Do you feel any pressure to maybe do better to represent the conference? Because Stockton's the only one to get out of the first weekend in probably 10 years, and it always feels like that's just an unfortunate knock on the conference.
13: Without a doubt. We talk about that all the time. We know how good we are as a conference, and I know there's better conferences than us out there, but we beat each other up so much, and then... Um, you, you get beat up in these games physically, and, all, and then you go into uh, the biggest games of the year in the NCAA tournament, and injury, and you're not going in full strength. These all play factors. Getting the home games, they're all factors in the, in the tournament. But like I said earlier, I do feel that pressure, and not on me. And my kids don't because they have nothing to do with this. They haven't, you know, it's their first time in it. But right. for me, I, I, I'm disappointed in myself. In my ability to move us along in the tournament, like I had done earlier in my career, so there's definitely pressure on wanting to get out of this first weekend and, and making a deep march in this tournament.
0: Uh, what's the plan from here? Uh, let's assume you're home, but it probably doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. How much time you're going to let the guys lick their wounds a little bit? But on Friday night, so. You've almost pretty much been able to get a little extra time in here, but how much time are you going to let the guys kind of rest a little before you really get back into the into the push here for the for next weekend?
13: Well, we gave them off. Our game was Friday night, the championship. We gave them off Saturday and Sunday. We're going to be uh, we're going to co- convene around noon tomorrow to watch the select. Have a little party for us, so we'll have a little food and watch this, uh, the committee select, and then we'll get back at it tomorrow night. Uh, we have practice tomorrow night. You know, once we find out, we'll get We're gonna leave some time in between the show and our night practice to watch some video once we find out who we're playing. And then we'll get on the court tomorrow night and start preparing. And then we'll prepare, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to get ready. The NCAA gives you an hour and a half on Thursday and a one-hour shoot-around on Friday. So those things are controlled more so by the NCAA. We'll have our regular practice Tuesday and Wednesday.
0: Well, save your voice. You're going to need it this next weekend. Um, So don't use it too much in practice.
13: I try not to. (laughs) Actually, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I let my assistant do a lot of stuff in practice. I mean, obviously I'm there in practice, but I do uh, a lot more in the games than I do in practice. (laughs) you know, I learned from Coach Knight years ago when I was out at Indiana in practice to really delegate and let your assistants do a lot. That's why you surround yourself with good people uh, like I have. I have a great staff, and and I allow them to do a lot of practices, and, and it works well.
5: Very nice. Well,
0: Coach, congratulations. As I said, one of the more spectacular and dreamlike uh, movie-esque type finishes for a conference title uh, game, and good luck in the NCAA tournament. It will be It will be fun to see, A, who you're playing, and B, where you're playing, and then, of course, see how you end up doing. So we're looking forward to watching the Roadrunners in the postseason. As always, we give the final word to the guest. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in?
13: Yeah, I just, I just want to say, number one, thank you for all you guys do for Division three basketball. You know, I've known you for a long time, and you just do a fabulous job, so I want to thank you. And then the second thing I would like to say is a shout-out to Mark Brown and his Jersey City team because they're fabulous. They deserve to be in in the tournament. He does a remarkable job down there. They get some kids to play so hard and play great defense, and that's what wins games. So at the end of the day, I wish him all the best and hopefully uh, NJ can get a second team into the tournament.
0: Well said, Coach. I'm hoping the same for you guys, too. I think you do have two very good programs there. Again, congratulations, and we'll talk to you soon. Chuck McBrain joining us on the City of Salem, uh, Hoopsville Hotline uh, again. Team just two losses on the year, twenty-five and two. Spectacular win at New Jersey City, and uh, um, we'll see what our mock selections say. I think he'd be getting in. Um, they certainly have a pretty solid resume. It'd be great to see new two NJAC teams in. It's been a conference that's taken some hits over the over the years, and but I think I got two programs here that could maybe uh, shake things up in the NCAA tournament. It'll be fun to watch coming up and obviously we got to find out where they're coming on monday when we come back we'll get back to the selections however long we talk to with uh coach mcbreen in our breaks we'll s- we'll see how many picks we got done uh here with our men's mock selections you're watching hoops presented by d3hoops.com from the wbca nabc studios back with more after this
9: at george fox university our promise is that every student personally academically and spiritually To be known means professors and staff know you by name. It means you're valued, encouraged, and challenged. It means we'll listen to you and with you as you pursue God's call in your life. At George Fox University, you will never be a number. You will be known. Visit georgefox.edu to learn more. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than.
2: So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic term.
9: you can play, you can play in
8: Division 3
1: I'm a Division Three student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division
13: Three.